You're about to witness a seismic event. Talk brunch where the geeks are all baby faces. Now, let the party begin. Live, start the countdown. Three, two, one. What's up, fellow brunchers? Welcome to Talk Brunch Live. November 11th, 2019. I'm your host as always, Rick Dyra, a.k.a. Captain Brunch, and listening to episode 350. Co-piling the brunch ship with me, as always, is Mr. Dustin Frazier. So what you're telling me is in the span of a week, I can see a tag team partner shittier than Nicholas and the shitty pregnancy angle? Really? Is this what we're doing now? Apparently that's what they're telling you. You know, as the seats keep emptying and the ratings keep on dropping. (laughs) (laughs) On tonight's show, we're going to be talking to you guys about everything that happened with the updates to the Saudi Arabia rumors, things happening in AEW full gear and with the company in general. Injuries, which we haven't gone over in several weeks. And of course, we're going to talk about the Wednesday Night Wars, ratings and things that are happening with them. Upcoming pay-per-views build up for Survivor Series. Alexa Bliss's uh, current career status. And just a lot of heat towards the IWC. With that being said, shout out to our chat room that has Willie V2 as Killer I- Cooler Ice. Emang, Tiku, Stasis Dreams, Joe Woko, Six Slayer, and also all of those listening currently to the live broadcast over at TalkBunch.com. And of course, the majority of you who are listening on demand via iTunes, Stitcher, and all other popular podcatcher apps are available on every digital audio provider, including SoundCloud. Just search TalkBunch, and you can visit TalkBunch.com for that, plus all of our social media links, as well as replays of all of our content, or just say to your Alexa to play the TalkBunch podcast. And it'll do it. It's self-aware. It's like Skynet or that new, uh, or that new uh, organization in the latest Terminator that I already forgot the name of. <laughs> by the way, go check that out. Really good movie. Enjoy the hell out of it. I'll see you in the Friday. Yeah, it's worth it. I'm, I've been hearing all this nonsense about it, like complaining, but trust me, go watch it. When are people yeah. not complaining about stuff? Yeah, people always bitching about something. I really dug it. It was it was cool. I enjoyed it. I haven't enjoyed a Terminator movie that much since T two. You know, so that's my endorsement for it right there. But um, while we're talking about movies for the moment, I wanted something on. Well, actually, it was it was more the girlfriend's choice. But I wanted just a random movie on in the background while I was working on the program tonight before Raw came on. We put on the uh, Aladdin, the live action Aladdin that they did. Have you seen? Wait, that? wait, 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 wait. Will Smith Aladdin. Will Smith Aladdin, yeah. <laughs> oh God, I never thought about it. But I guess that's what it would be classified as, right? Will Smith Aladdin. Damn, I mean, let's be real. The only thing people remember from that Aladdin right now is Will Smith Aladdin. Oh, good lord! Yeah, thanks for the host, cool ice. Thank you. Yeah, you you missed the notifications by a couple seconds, but you know, <laughs> I always turn them on like four or five minutes into the uh, the intro because I know he likes to get that notification pop. If anybody else wants that, the lurkers that are out there that I'm blatantly seeing, hop on in. You know, we won't blame you. You know, now's the time to do it. That we don't interrupt promo time. Right. You know, that would be the best way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But anyway, 
Yeah, I saw the Will Smith Aladdin. You haven't seen it? I haven't seen it yet. Mm. Well, I didn't dislike it as much as I was hearing. That's another one that people complained about. It's definitely not as good as the animation. But, uh, you know, it was all right. You know, they had a lot of cool special effects and stuff. They they stood true to a lot of the story. They they took liberties, obviously, because you don't want it to be a photocopy, but it was cool. Okay. Yeah. I didn't actually finish it. I didn't finish it. So I'm, I'm judging it early. But from what I've seen, because I, I started it, we started like 637-ish, and I was like, oh, shit, Raw's on. So I had like, turned it off right after the whole new world bit. <laughs> but I mean, I think by that point, if you got far enough to make it to there, you can sort of judge it, right? The important shit has happened. You ain't never had a friend like me happen, a whole new world, you know? <laughs> so it's kind of like by this point in the movie, you know, you pretty much got it down. Like there's very little left except, I guess, the last, the ending part. The only thing I didn't like about it was Iago. They completely ruined. That's a shitty Iago. Oh, God. You know, without Gilbert Gottfried, it's just terrible. It's like that that guy made that character. And uh, this Iago is just a regular parrot. Like, he doesn't do shit. He's just a parrot that's there that squawks. It was so disappointing. The, 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 be- the best thing I could ever see is, like, at the end of the movie, you just get, the, like, the credits scene rolling, Iago cutscene going, next thing all you come in, you fall! <laughs> well, you know, I, like I said, this this was all right, but there were certain things I could see about it. Like I said, my main thing was Iago, where it was like, this is a character that was worthy of a spinoff back in the Disney cartoon era because of how funny right. and interesting he was he was an entertaining if, if iago would have got a show everybody would have watched it i mean when you think about it, iago's the only character that had a face turn because in the first movie he's bad and then he's in the, in the series and in the uh and in the return of jafar you know he's pretty much part of the palace instead it's, yeah. just, it's just a fucking burden this it was just like that's weird <laughs> people are like we're supposed to be talking about wrestling news and uh and steroids and people getting released and it's y'all better be patient <laughs> Yeah, like, you know what, dude? You know what it is? Honestly, I, I put the program together, but I didn't even choose the order. Usually I'll choose some sort of at least semi-order before we start breaking it. But nothing really popped out to me or compelled me about this week's news. Not that any of it was really boring, but, you know, it kind of was. Is there anything you guys specifically in chat or even you, Dustin, want me to start off with here that, that you give a fuck about? Because, I mean, yeah, there's stuff going on, but, I mean... It's really where you want to go with this one, man. I don't really, I, I wasn't feeling anything where I was like, we, this pops out and we, we got to open with this. It's kind of funny because, um, I finally got to catch on with some of the stuff after I got in from work today because it's just been crazy for the past maybe 24, 48 hours. Right. I mean, Walking Dead's been doing good. <laughs> Dude, you got to go into wrestling. Come on. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I'm just you, saying. You just try to avoid, like you can't avoid it. We'll be here all night. You can't just keep avoiding wrestling. I've got to. You know, I, was almost hope, I was almost hoping to get Carl get the return of Carl Papa, but I mean, hey, nah, I can't. I can't do it. I try. If anybody wants a, a, a spinoff show or something with the other stuff, yeah, but this is already too long with all the wrestling companies for us to have extra shit. You're lucky I talked about Aladdin a little in the beginning. <laughs> I saw the window and I took it. Damn it! But no, um. Yeah, I mean, for God's sakes, we might as well start off with uh, the show of shows, freaking Full Gear. Well, start with Full Gear. First, we'd have to talk about AEW Dynamite because that is true. We haven't spoken about that this week, so different this time. Let's go. You know, actually, let's talk about AEW Dynamite first. We'd have to talk about AEW Dark. So let's go back there. See how far back we went down the rabbit hole already. That being said, I'll take Dark. You take uh, Dynamite, and then we'll 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 tag team on the on the uh, the other thing, the Full Gear. So there you go. We out here. Yeah. That being said, AW Dark, it, it had a few interesting matches. The singles match was Michael Nakazawa against Sean Spears with Tully Blanchard finished being um Nakazawa um 
I don't know. It's just like upon the best way I can describe it, it's awkward to say. Like somehow he takes his underwear off while leaving the wrestling trunks on over them. I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen this before. But upon charging <laughs> spears with the with the underwear in hand, <laughs> Nakazawa winds up eating 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 like the pump kick, followed by the slingshot brainbuster. And um, that song come. I hate to say it, man, but it's like I like Michael Nakazawa as a comedic character. I like the whole gimmick, and even as a wrestler, he's he's good, but. It really annoys me the uh the taking off his underwear and leaving his trunks on and the rubbing the baby oil, the Turkish wrestler style shit they do where he rubs the baby oil all over himself to sort of like slither out of the move. That's what I it's mean the with AEW. The motion that kills me with that one. I think that's the only reason I tolerate it because the motion is just funny. See, that's what I mean with AEW when you know, when I said in the channel, they they sort of walk this fine line between the, the dark and the edgy wrestling that we want and comedy and then sometimes they go the extreme left or the extreme right no pun intended you know where it's like it'll either be cookie cutter you know george jetson style comedy or it'll be like the most violent shit that you've ever seen you know so it's just weird how they do that i'm not saying there's anything wrong with it i'm just saying it's it's funny i don't know if they're if it's that they're gonna try to find like a a tone that they want to go with or it'll always be this way but uh, it's almost comparable to anime, where it's like an anime can have a dark moment, and then a few minutes later, characters are drawn all chibi and cutesy before someone gets fucking decapitated. You know, that's sort of the way it's becoming with AEW. And I don't, I don't know if I'm, I'm against or for it. It's just an observation in general, where it's like, yeah, yeah. sometimes because when you look at it, like Sean Spears is a bad dude. Like the way he's portrayed, oh, I yeah. love the way he's portrayed in AEW. It's fantastic. Like it's Please. funny to think of how wasted he was in WWE's Ty Dillinger because when he comes out like it looks like legit the way he sells it it's like that is a bad motherfucker don't don't fuck and with him ever you know and uh what's kind, of, what's kind of funny and I didn't realize it until that AEW Dark conveniently who does the lyrics of his song who Josiah Williams who's worked with NXT before yeah well everyone seems to have worked with NXT or WWE in some extent but yeah I like his song too I'm glad you brought that up oh, because yeah, the song too. suits him it's, it's really cool the whole gimmick and then having Tully Blanchard one of the horsemen with him as a manager the look exactly. that he comes out with like his head down and everything that's it's fantastic but the point is when they they weren't playing around when they made him and it did it, it definitely even though it wasn't intentional it didn't hurt that he busted Cody open with that chair shot that was almost like it helped it's almost like with the um the, the Nia Jax Becky Lynch thing except that the person that did the injury got over from her because he became the chairman I don't know if he would have become the chairman had that not been such a memorable bump that Cody took exactly. as dangerous as it was they benefited from it but I really like the guy like when I see him and I liked him as Ty Dillinger too I thought he could be a star as that but now when I see him it's like this gimmick works really well that being said getting back to them going back and forth with the comedy but then here we have one of the darkest guys dangerous guy with Tully Blanchard and you got a dude lotioning himself or oiling himself out of his hold you know what I mean and wiggling out it's kind of it's just funny how like I said there's times where it's really dark and there's times where it's crazy and they sort of split the fan base because you have people who are on both sides who like the fun stuff and, you know, the Jungle Boys hanging out with the Marco stunts and all the cool little jokes here. And then you, you, you have the people that like the crazy stuff with the barbed wire and the thumbtacks and the, you know, almost killing a motherfucker. And then you have the, the opposing sides that don't like the, the fun stuff. And then the opposing sides who think that the crazy stuff, the Moxley stuff is a little too crazy and that they're fucking wrestling up. So yeah. it's weird to I have almost, these two sides that are both fans of the same brand, but half of them are saying that the comedy and the disbelievable shit, like small wrestlers like Riho or Marco Stunt and comedy bits are fucking wrestling up. And then you have the other half that are saying, but this realistic shit where you put glass in a motherfucker's face and make him practically eat it. That's that's going, you know, that's what's messing wrestling up. Where's the middle, you know? 
I, I kind of look at it almost a sense of, and it became more apparent after the Nakazawa thing. It seems like AEW showing, hey, we can literally do one or the other. We can mix it up. So if you don't like one, don't worry, the other one's still there. So I it's guess. like if you don't if you don't like the comedy, the serious stuff is still there. If you're not too much a fan of the serious stuff and you want to laugh, we have the comedy there as well. Yeah, you know, you know what it is. Sometimes what you need to do with that though, and I agree. I think that there that should because that's the way life is. You know, like life's literally exactly that. It's a series of moments that are either serious or funny, or sometimes you laugh at the serious, or or the uh, serious is just outright funny or whatever. But there has to be a pacing and a tone, not just because I think it's not like me going, ah, I think there should be a pacing and a tone. It's just based on success stories. There needs to be a pacing and a tone. And what I what I mean by this is uh, you can tell when something blends comedy and darkness well enough because it'll be believable. You know, even if it's about magic and wizards and warriors or rockets and robots, if there's a believable relatable pacing between humor and seriousness that's what brings life to your world and the best example that i could think of of this is the entire marvel cinematic universe the avengers movies the captain america movies even the even the um guardians of the galaxy movies all of these movies they have these dark moments and these crazy things it feels like people are going to die and the whole world's at stake and that you know people are out here risking their life people you know tony gets ptsd from some of the shit that happened but then there's these moments that just break that with like just something believably funny but without being forced humor where it's like we're not going to break out into just a funny segment in the middle of the entire thing you know there's just going to be a funny enough moment to break the tension and that brings life to characters because no one's ever going to just be stoic or dark, but no one's ever going to be a clown like Fozzie the Bear, you right. know, and be a believable character either. And, they, and they're able to do that with a character that's a fucking rocket. You know what I mean? That's a fucking raccoon rocket character. You know what I mean? Where it's like at the end of the day, a talking puppet, essentially, or a CG, whatever you want to call him, is able to be a dark and serious and dangerous character while being in that form. Going, taking it back over to AEW, the problem is that sometimes they're not able to do that. Like, like Marco Stunt, I know people like him. He's no rocket raccoon, you know, in the yeah. sense that I, I can't, I, I, it's entertaining sometimes, but sometimes it's too much. I can't take it seriously, you know? Yeah, I've always looked at Marco Stunt like you're not supposed to take him seriously. Like, you're taking him seriously, you're doing it wrong, you know? They don't have him fight I, I serious people. From, you know what I mean? They don't have him fight serious people on a regular basis or, or anything like that. It's a little. It's just yeah. a little too much. I don't know if that's what you want to do right now. Like I said, just my opinion, and I'm and I hate to call him out specifically because I do like the wrestling and stuff that he does, but I just mean that uh, just for the taste of what they're going for, it just feels a little bit off to me. But anyway, I don't want to do, yeah. go too far from the AEW dark stuff. There, I really see what happened with that match. They had a tag match with Ali and Sadie Gibbs against Big Swall and Mercedes Martinez. Why is her name Big Swall? It's, it's isn't that weird I for don't a chick? She ain't that Jack. Yeah, right. Like you're not you're not that jacked and it just doesn't like, sound if, like a, if your name is Big Swole, I expect you to be ripped like China when she debuted. Like Yeah, it's just unusual. I don't know how you could get over when your name doesn't match your look. It's not even like, a is, male it, or like is it like is it the forehead? Is that it? Like a like big swole, you know, and then it's like you wouldn't expect that to be what comes out, you know, it's just kinda of, really you're big swole. That's like when Albert like you that's like you, when you, Al Bundy you, you, realized that the Gary shoe store, his boss was a was a man with a woman named Gary. Oh, and it was like what a, what a twist. <laughs> You're like, Gary. Like you, tell, you, you, you tell me Big Swole. I'm expecting to see Baby D. Oh, I mean, Awesome Kong. Yeah, yeah. And Sadie Gibbs goes over Big Swole with a moonsault. 
And um, yeah, it wasn't too much. You know, Sadie Gibbs has a crazy handspring dive that she does that I thought was really good, but I wasn't really feeling the match much. There were there were too many sequences where the pacing was was broken to clearly position or set up for for moves and spots. Yeah, you know. Uh, Britt Baker did her promo, which you guys saw on on Dynamite, and then you see. I'm not going to go over because then you see it again on the pay per view where she just talks about you know the mandible and how she'll do it. She gets real doctor. She gets really dentisty with her terms and shit, you know, to make it sort of scary about what she can do to be a Presley. Jimmy Havoc has a segment with Cody, the undesirable to undeniable segment, where he talks about when he went from undesirable to deniable. Um, you get. What your, do you think of that segment? It was okay. Well, what are your thoughts? You know, I always kind of it's it's one of my favorite segments of darks because even if it's a wrestler that I've known from before, like Jimmy Havoc, I've seen him outside of uh, AEW and other places. It does give kind of an insight of how far they've come and how much they felt like they've accomplished. Right. So it really does kind of like this is where I came from to get onto this platform. I still my favorite one is still Audrey Edwards, just because. And she, she's probably one of the best ones so far, but it's cool. Even with like the MJF one, you get to see kind of a light. You get to see them in a light you usually don't get to see. They talk about a lot of personal stuff where it's like, hey, I used to think I was going nowhere and look where I am now on top of the freaking world. So. Yeah. Yeah. The MJF one we didn't talk about last week where he talked about how they used to make fun of him because he was a Jew and all this other shit that they used to say to him, right? Like calling him Jew names and everything, right? You would you would think nothing bothers that dude, but it's like that's some tough shit to go through. Yeah, and they throw I mean, they throw pennies at him or some or coins or some some shit something like that. And I was just like, Jesus Christ! That's what they that's what they do, man. That's some racist shit to do to somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it felt at first like he wasn't gonna sell it. Like I thought he was gonna just stay in his gimmick, and uh, he wound up not doing that. But that's what also makes it cool. Like you get to see the gimmick kind of drop for a little bit. Yeah. What do you think of the Jimmy Havoc one? Like I don't really, I'm not particularly familiar with him. Uh, outside of AEW, no, the Jimmy Havoc one is definitely very. It's, it's it was intriguing because I even I known a little bit about Jimmy Havoc. Um, the, for the only the last time I'd really seen him, ironically, it was an Impact angle where I guess he was like a f- past lover of Rosemary or something. But I heard the name a few times, so it's kind of that was someone where I figured if they were ever going to get him on that, it would be intriguing to learn more about him. So it's a, it's cool because. That's somebody you would think would be very secretive about stuff they've been through. Like, you didn't talk about very much. Yeah, but if you're in that company, you must know that they they pretty much break the fourth wall all the time. You know, there's no way. Oh, they, yeah. Like, they're not that, shy that's about what makes that it so shit. Cool. You know? Like, you, you would expect somebody like that. You wouldn't think they'd be around somewhere where they would have to break that fourth wall. But for a Jimmy having to do that, it's a, definitely a serious situation. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, yeah, so after we get that, we get the tag team match that has Jimmy Havoc and Joey Janela against uh, the Jurassic Express, Jungle Boy, and Marco Stunt. And uh, the finish with Joey Janela hits Marco Stunt with uh, an avalanche package pile driver, which that's crazy. You see, I mean, that <laughs> moments like that, that kind of makes up for everything that I say, you know what I mean? Where it's kind of like, yeah, Marco Stunt's out there and he's all happy and shit. And then I've never seen, like, he took a fucking avalanche package pile driver, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, that that's say what he that, wants, but that kid takes the hits like a G. That's Kevin Steen's old finisher off of the top turnbuckle. That, that shit's not even allowed in WWE regular without a top turn he went flying with him in a package pile driver and yeah, i guess that's the advantage of a marco stunt you know because maybe he doesn't die because he's small like that like a spike dudley you know because how the fuck do you package pile driver somebody into the air <laughs> safely 
Like, what's the what's the the like, safe part? Do you tuck your head? The, like with certain moves, like with a DDT, you can see the bump. They roll through. They tuck their head, you know, so they don't concuss. How the fuck do you possibly go flying off the top turnbuckle <laughs> via package pile driver and everything's all right? Like, just think that like he was the one where it's like, okay, so a uh, package pile driver off the top rope. All right, sign me up. Get out like, of what? here, man. <laughs> There's some crazy I, I, shit in that I, I, company. I've seen death matches on the indies where nobody would try that. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah. And their, their matches are violent, you know, don't get me wrong. But that's more because of people like Jimmy Havoc, you know, where it's like that. These, these guys are crazy, you know. Yeah, Jimmy I mean, Havoc and Joey Janela are crazy. There were staple gun antics in this shit, you know. And uh, but a lot of the a lot of the Jungle Boy Marco stunt offense, since they don't have Luchasaurus with them anymore, which we'll get into later on Injury Road. But a lot of the Marco Stunt Lucha, um, um, Marco Stunt Jungle Boy stuff entails him throwing him around. You know, he's almost using like a human weapon. Yeah, I mean, which you know? it kind of makes sense considering how small he is compared to Jungle Boy. It makes sense that he would do that, but it doesn't make sense that it would work. Like, not to the point where they're, they're offensively capable. I mean, I guess they do it well at times, you know? Yeah. But, uh, Sometimes it looks better than others, but yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely where he does serve his purpose as a comedy, like that kid, like when I saw him going up for there, I'm waiting for the counter. Right, right. Because I'm like, there's no way in hell he's just going to hit this spot. And I was like, oh, he did. <laughs> yeah. And then Janela winds up getting his ass kicked uh, afterwards by Spears. Sean Spears comes to the ring with Blanchard. And apparently this for an earlier point where he put um his cigarette out. Janela puts his cigarette out in Blanchard's drink. And uh, uh and Sean Spears just wasn't having that shit. So he came on. They, they beat the fuck out of him. You know, so again, going back to what I'm saying about this guy, how dangerous he is, the way he comes out, he doesn't take they, those two don't take anything. Don't mess with them. You know, which I like that. I like that whole aspect of it. That was great. And uh, yeah, man, you can take the wheel from here. That brings us into AEW Dynamite. Yeah, AEW Dynamite. <laughs> we did that fucking drop so bad. But yeah, um, it kicked off one on one action. Trent are the best friends. Technically one third, I guess you could count Orange Cassidy versus the Bastard Pac. And uh this was this was quite the wild match. Yeah, yeah. The finish was um uh, it was a uh, it was a close two count after the Black Arrow, followed by the Brutalizer, aka Rings of Saturn, for the finish. Which uh I like that he followed that up immediately with that brutalizer. You don't get a second to breathe. Yeah, which I I feel like uh I heard some sort of uh issue happen there or something. I haven't heard anything lately. Yeah. Um, yeah. Basically, what happened was, uh, I think Beretta got rocked. Ooh. At in that match, like, well, you saw that whole Rings of Saturn shit at the end. That wasn't actually the ending. You know, it's like he went for the Black Arrow, and then Pac wound up trying to pin him, and he didn't kick out. But the referee st- stopped counting at two instead of counting to three. He was he he was supposed to kick out, but he didn't with the Black Arrow. And it's because he was already, he was stunned. But I guess the ref knew that wasn't the finish. So he stopped. And, uh, that's when Pac rolled him over and put on the, the brutalizer. And, uh, and then he still didn't tap out or anything. He, that's yeah, what he fucked just up he was. Basically passing out in the sense. You know what I mean? They didn't even, he didn't even pass out. He was out of it. Go back and look. He, he, he hits that red arrow and clearly he was supposed to kick out there and, and doesn't. And then when the brutalizer, he's just still completely out of it. Like, I don't think he was there for the rest of that. You know, they said on commentary that he verbally submitted, but he didn't verbally submit, you know? He just yeah. was, he just got rocked. Yeah, that's, a, that's some crazy shit. Like, you knocked out like that. I'm almost kind of wondering, like, I guess the impact of the Black Arrow knocked him out, which is like, Jesus. I'm, I don't know. Like, all I know is that after, after that point, he just was no longer there. 
And just luckily for them, I guess, it just made the whole thing look like it was the finish, you know, where it was just like, boom, and then the thing, and then the rings of Saturn, and he's gone. Which, uh, like I said, just very fortunate, very unusual, but very, very fortunate that nothing, I don't think anything bad happened to him, you know? Yeah, I haven't heard anything. Yeah, but yeah, I just thought that was a really amazing situation that I was just like, holy shit, he got knocked out, and then they had to like just and then and you know even Meltzer commented that any other ref in another company, I don't know if this could be considered good or bad, but any other ref would have just counted to three and it would have been over. But this ref uh, stopped, I guess, knowing. I mean, I guess it depends on the circumstances. I don't know what would entail a ref knowing the finish versus a ref knowing this isn't supposed to be the finish or if they would count that in you know but in wwe that is the way it is right now the ref would have just counted to three and they that would have been it it doesn't matter like they tell them in wwe if they don't if they don't kick out that's their problem like you know they got to make sure that this is legit you know the refs are shoot calling out there when it comes to the counts so uh you know clearly in aew there's a different philosophy at least in this case because the guy uh was ready to to not let the match end yeah Kind of, kind of makes you wonder what exactly went wrong and doing everything, but uh, yeah, hopefully Trent's okay for sure though. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and, uh, he got and, followed. But then Orange Cassidy winds up coming out. Oh fucking Orange Cassidy! Actually, when he's out there, he winds up getting a freshly squeezed pump kick, as they call it. <laughs> yeah, see, the Orange Cassidy stuff I kind of like. It's it's weird though, you know. It took me a while to warm up to that. Like when I first, you know what it is? I think like, it's because Orange Cassidy has the crazy ability. To be able to do so little but get so much out of it, yeah. Like he he does it so well. Yeah, and it's amazing that he's able to do athletic moves with his hands still in his pocket. I don't know how safe that is. Safe enough to where he they keep letting him do it. <laughs> like, the fact that he's flying all over the damn place. I, I'm scared of the day when he misses. Like that's I don't, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Oh yeah, because he has no hands to save himself. He, the only thing like, he that, can he, he'll be able to break his forward is his head. His, his sunglasses will break as well. That's it. <laughs> but I mean, dude is committed to it. That's great. Like it's, that's a true commitment to the bit. Like I need to see it switch a little bit, man. I need to see them depending less on this kind of shit and more on uh, the talent of the roster. I mean, I get it. There's a Wednesday night war supposedly, but like I'd like to just see more good wrestling. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, some people yeah. say this is the good wrestling, which in a lot of ways it is. But like I said, I would just like to see a little bit more stuff. Yeah, nothing wrong with more. Mm-hmm. You have any other thoughts on this? Uh, this um, I mean, freaking Pac rolling strong. I think he's wow. Yeah, but I mean, we'll get to it with full gear. But I mean, one of the best overall records in AEW right now. Yeah, dude's yeah, on, absolutely. Dude's been absolutely on fire. Like. <laughs> Jericho, watch out. It's funny how <laughs> it's for like a, that same guy who broke his leg on that on that baseball slide. So it's funny how for a while it seemed like he wasn't even gonna be part of the company. Yeah, I think he just they just needed for things kind of line up just a little bit better. But I mean, ever since he showed up, it's been awesome. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then up next, uh we had a little appearance from Mr. Cody. Yes, I'm saying it, Rhodes. And comes up to make a big announcement regarding um full gear. Yeah. Pretty much the announcement wound up being after probably one of the best speeches I've heard in God forever. Um, Cody makes it clear that if he doesn't beat Jericho, he'll never challenge for that AEW title ever again. Which, yeah, I, I think it's a little too early in this company for them to be having, I'll never go for the title again when you've never gone for the title in the first place matches. You know yeah. What I mean? It's just but I guess weird. like he kind of, the way he kind of made, it, made sense of it was the fact that like, 
you know, there's, let's be real, there's the marks out there. It'll be like, oh, he's running the company. Of course, he's going to get all the title shots. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, he did give the best promo of his career. That was, that, Twitter went wild after that promo. Like, where else do you see a man literally bringing himself to tears in the middle of a promo? Like that was no that that was no work emotion. That was real emotion coming in from that. Yeah. We're gonna put like a clip of that up as a matter of fact. You know, because it's that damn good. This was bone chilling. If I do not defeat Chris Jericho at full gear, I will never challenge for the AEW World Championship again. Chris Jericho, that is a very big if. It's not an encumbrance. It's not an albatross that is going to sit on your chest and weigh you down. It is going to vanish. You've taken to calling my lot entitled millennials. You've called me an entitled millennial bitch. I neglected to read in your best-selling book, A Lion's Tale, which you can get on Amazon for $3 or at any, or at any flea market. I neglected to read about the upbringing you had that was so hard. You talked about my silver spoon. Gosh, it must have been so difficult being the upper class son of a famous hockey player. It is almost like we shared the exact same silver spoon, you stupid dick. You dismissed, you dismissed every accomplishment I've made. You've talked about my father. Well, you call me an entitled millennial, I call you a carny succubus because the dirty secret about you, the dirty secret is you need this generation more than it needs you. And you've surrounded yourself with impressionable youth. This isn't about my dad. This isn't about the dead, it's about the living. It's about my mother. It's about my sister. It's about my wife. It's about the 14 years it took me to go from undesirable to un-goddamn deniable. Yeah, that was just a fraction of this promo. (laughs) (laughs) That kid went in. (laughs) That was just a fraction of this man. I got fucking goosebumps when he started just laying down the list of people in his family. Yeah. Oh my else, god. Yeah. That was the best promo he's ever had. Like in any company in any capacity. Yeah, I loved him. This is what him. happens. This is what happens when you don't give people a script and you just let them go. I loved him calling AEW the Ellis Island for professional wrestling. That was great. <laughs> I figured you'd like that one. You know. And uh yeah, everything else you guys heard there. Very, very cool stuff, man. Oh, it was absolutely incredible. Like if you were never excited for a freaking for a freaking world title match you were after that mm-hmm. and like it, it really gave off the impression at certain points like cody could walk in here and win this thing and that's what you, that's the impression you want to give you don't want to make it clear like oh jericho just got the title of course he's gonna win mm-hmm. cody had you sitting there thinking wait a minute cody might walk in here and take this belt <laughs> because that are the eyes of a man who will kill for that championship but yeah I really absolutely like amazing yeah, but uh, next up, something kind of different that I've never seen a tournament do. We had a bronze medal match. Uh, we had the private party versus the dark order. But the catch is the winning team would would join SCU and the Lucha Brothers in a three-way dance at full gear for the tag titles. Mm-hmm. Another three-way dance. Uh, this uh, 
This 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 was quite the entertaining match, I think. I I, I like this. I like this for sure. But I mean, uh, of course, obviously, not surprisingly, let's be real. Private Party goes over. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, they are all the finish to this. After the third fatality attempt, um, Quinn winds up breaking up, and then Private Party hits Silly String, and then they hit Gin and Juice over Grayson. Oh, Gin and Juice! That's such a fun move to watch. Like the timing they have to have to get that move is amazing. Those guys are really good, man. And it's a shame we can never see them fight the Street Profits. I know who I got my money on, though. But uh, <laughs> I like both teams. You know, I'm, who, who's saying? You know, I really like both teams. Yeah. Two really good high flyers. I think the only thing they would have over the Street Profits is that both of them are on the same level of agile, on the same level of agility. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Crazy mm-hmm. match. Crazy, crazy match all around. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, and then, oh man, I wish I had the video of it or something, man. The next part that you're about to talk about. But, uh, then Jericho, oh. this savage Jericho, I didn't even understand what was happening at first, but it didn't take me long to realize. He does a parody version of the video from the previous week, the dramatic one of Cody when he's distracted by, by, uh, everything going on and he's, you know, the, and he, <laughs> this dude was in the bathtub instead of the, uh, the, the whatchamacallit. <laughs> that was such a fucked up. <laughs> Somebody has the link to it. Grab it, and I'll. I don't even know what to call. I don't even know if they isolated it, but that was hilarious, man. That's one of the funniest things that I've ever seen. But yeah, he really healed it up, and like he's just attacking. Like Jericho's one of the best heels. Who would have ever thought that, right? Like over time, he's gotten better and better, and uh, now that he's able to just be creative, he's now he really gets it in. Like where did this come from? You know, like well, he's always had it, but it's just that he keeps getting better and better. It's a shame that uh. He's he's the age that he is just because of the fact that otherwise he'd probably be able to win with the creativity and it never seems to the momentum never seemed to slow down since the beginning of his career. It's just gone up and up and up as far as just the talent and the character development up to this very day. Hey, you know, okay, so that, that is the often. youngest AEW champion in history, all right? It, it is currently the youngest AEW champion in history. You are correct about that, sir. But uh yeah, I mean, no matter what wrestlers you like and what wrestlers you dislike, they all have their ups and downs. Not everyone's momentum's always up. Very rarely. There's been cases, of course, of main eventers that their momentum has just shot up. But Jericho's just a rare case where I can't think of many times where he was around that he wasn't up. He's either around exactly. and up or he's not around at all. He's not like, and I guess that's the smart thing about Jericho that in, in his later years, he would always come back for a run and then leave. He had stroke like that with the company. Not everyone can do that with contracts, especially the young guys. But when you're a guy of his caliber, he's able to come back and say, look, I'm going to do a run three months and then leave again. So he always kept himself fresh. You never got saturated in in year-long Jericho. So that gives him time to sort of muse shit, you know, and just come out with new ideas and uh, be creative, you know. Exactly. and I think that's that's what the key to AEW is going to have to be if they have any chance in regards to ratings is going to be doing that. Even though they want to have a regular roster, they have a big enough roster that they have to do what they originally set in their plans and rotate people in and out. You can't see people every single week. You're going to get it'll become just another wrestling show. You know, but they so do far, they're of, doing a pretty good job. at I mean, there's certain people you're seeing somewhat frequently, but it's not to the point where at least every week you're not seeing a new face. Yeah. Exactly. Which I think I sent you when I found that. I think I think I found it and I sent it to you. Fucking magical. This is (laughs) the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. But what you found the yeah, uh, 
the, the, the actual video of it? Yeah, I think that's the video. Give me a few minutes to queue it up. I just got to get Facebook open. I didn't even have my freaking Facebook oh, yeah. up. But yeah, I mean, they're definitely, I mean, Jericho has always been good at just keeping, like, the level of ideas he's had, the different ways he's returned. I think um, still one of my favorite was uh, the first day when the code became a big thing because nobody knew what it was until maybe that last week. And for him yeah. to finally show up after all that time, it was just like, wow, this is completely different. The next time, a whole new vignette where there's no indication whatsoever of what's going to happen. Like Chris Jericho has the uncanny ability of always being able to think of something new and rarely having anything not and rarely having anything not work. Yeah. And I mean, now this whole thing, it's, it's just it's gotten even better. Yeah. I mean, we had our suspicions. Don't get me wrong. We definitely had our suspicions back in the day going to his debut, but it was like the way they did it and the way he came out um, and everything about it was done so well. You know, they treated the guy the way he needed to be as a larger than life person. And uh, like I said, I kind of feel like even before that, he just had natural momentum. I remember Lionheart Chris Jericho in ECW. If you go back and watch his matches, like he was a badass, you know, like he he was well done back then as well before he had ever even touched WCW. And I remember noting and everyone realizing, just like we do now, it's no different. It's just another generation of the same things happening where you saw these dudes in Ring of Honor and you knew then how cool they were, but not many people did. And then eventually they did wind up here. It's like, that's how it was, because I remember original ECW, not that crazy shit that came out later on, but the original. You don't talk about that. Proper. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't even I couldn't believe it. I was like, what the fuck? But yeah, the proper ECW, you know, he was just a he he was a force to be reckoned with there, you know, and uh, he was so talented. His, his athleticism, the styles changed a bit. But if you go back and look, no one was doing those kind of spots or having those kind of matches, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah, we, we we talk about the ECW where Rhino was the last champion, not yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this is the I think this is if you gave me the, the, the proper shit here, this should be the promo coming up. Hey Chris, uh we got a couple options for the bubbly here, man. This one, low calorie. This one's a better taste. So personally I think you should go with the better tasting one for the bubbly. I think it'd sell better. Sure. Kissed him See, the way that he, he Chris kissed Jericho Brandy. Like a father figure to me. And <laughs> when I heard he was going to be facing Cody, I just knew it was over for Cody. Because Chris Jericho's the champion. Low cow bubbly. Right that means down. he's the face of this company. Because and it's he's the, the regular bathtub. Because he's the champion. <laughs> he's the face of this company. I've been known Chris since he was 12 <laughs> years old. And he was as this killed me, then. dude. Soul yeah. Train Jones, right? <laughs> Soul Train Jones. I mean, name <laughs> another guy that's Virgil. working harder than Chris Jericho. Dead ass, Cody. Let it go. Move on. It ain't popping off for you. Dead ass. Chris Jericho's a grown man, and you're a boy. You don't even have chest hair. <laughs> I remember when Christopher was just a young boy. I knew he was going to grow up to be an AEW world champion. And in my heart, I'm praying for Cody that he's going to survive. Chris Jericho, he's this in the prime awesome. of his life. He's, he's 48, the youngest AEW champion in history. And Swagger just doesn't say nothing. <laughs> I don't know what a goat is because I'm not a farmer. But I know what Chris Jericho is, the greatest of all times. <laughs> Yo, Virgil kills me. Virgil was the MVP of this shit. The greatest thing ever, man. 
How the hell would they get him, right? I know, little Christopher. I know he's going to beat the shit out of Cody at full gear. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's very hard for me to um, get up every morning. The best morning part's coming up, though. My favorite part. I have to realize just how great I am. Chris Jericho's talent <laughs> is like the Olive Garden breadsticks. Unlimited. <laughs> when I wake up in Baltimore on November 9th, I mean... Cody has a lot of meetings to do, and I only have one thing on my plate, and that's drinking a little bit of the bubbly after the show. And trying to find the best place to go for bubbly is always a hard thing to do. It's a lot of responsibility, but it's a responsibility that I have to face. Oh, that is just too funny. Because I'm Le Champion. I can't believe they got Virgil to mention the Holocaust. Oh, that is too funny, dude. <laughs> see, that's what I mean. Like, that's the, that's cool. Like, that's funny humor. You called, so you didn't see that Scars that I called. By the way, what's up, Scars? You didn't, so you didn't know before that there was a, there was an Olive Garden re- reference in this? <laughs> oh, Scars, that's why you gotta start watching, bro. What you doing, man? <laughs> I saw that. I fell on the floor laughing. I, was like, I can't believe that fucker mentioned all the garden breadsticks. After all the jokes. Dude. <laughs> that was Yo, that long. Would we watch that in the chat room? It took me till the second time seeing him to accept that that was Virgil on my TV screen. Like the Olive Garden breadsticks. Unlimited. Unlimited. That <laughs> <laughs> was fantastic. Oh man, he really. I mean, that's the first work Virgil's had in a long time. Besides the lonely Virgil thing, right? Yeah, out here he doing it. <laughs> He's supersizing tonight. <laughs> and, oh, and the name that he has, man. You know what the bad part about it is? Knowing Jericho, guess who's donating to Virgil's GoFundMe next? Who? Jericho. No, <laughs> I refuse to believe it. Better be someone else. <laughs> I was just saying, he's going for donating to GoFundMe. If we see $5,000 show up in virtual GoFundMe, we know why. He is known for donating, right? I'm just saying, yeah, there but, you but go. it's always in, in, in dire circumstances. You can't take that Let's away be real. from <laughs> Virgil's life is a dire circumstance. All right. <laughs> Soul Train Jones, get it right. Soul Train Jones, I'm fucking done. If that motherfucker makes a run in on the next AEW pay per view, I'm done. No, this has to keep going. You don't mean if. This is this is too good for it to end here. I refuse to yeah. this to be the end of Soul Train Jones. <laughs> I want the I want a chronicle of Soul Train Jones, damn it. Oh yeah, this has to happen. From, from, even, from, unde, from undesirable to undeniable, damn it. I want more Soul you Train You can't Jones. open Pandora's box and then just walk away. We need some more Soul Train Jones in <laughs> AEW. I mean, come on. After everything I said with the Marco stunt and all that other shit, you're not gonna give me Soul Train Jones? <laughs> that go feed me i'm done <laughs> all i'm saying is if that, if jericho's next title defense soul train Jones makes a run in aw wins like that's it kill blow that's all it's done <laughs> pack it up let's go <laughs> yeah man oh my god look at this post he put up i put on the screen here and uh <laughs> I can't even get through the first sentence of it. Wow. <laughs> Virgil Khan. What? Virgil Khan. And he has a couple of aliases. Virgil Khan, a.k.a. Soul Train Jones. 
a.k.a. a meat sauce mike is is all elite oh wrestling <laughs> meat sauce mike when was he that I knew Virgil and Vince, and there was a point where he was Meat Sauce Mike, a.k.a. Who knows him as that? Meat Sauce? He looks like a Meat Sauce Mike, doesn't he? That shit sounds dirty as fuck. Meat Sauce Mike? Jesus Christ. He sounds like the guy in the porno that you only shoot from the dick down. (laughs) Meat Sauce Mike? Oh, shit. That just takes that dictator to a whole new level. Like, oh my god, what in the fuck is going on here? But anyway, <laughs> Virgil Khan. I don't even know if I'm going to make it through. The, Virgil Khan, aka Soul Train Jones, aka Meat Sauce Mike, is all elite wrestling for life. My decision to take ownership of the hottest product in the game will soon be released for all the the Meat Sauce minions to be Look, notified that my inner circle is dripping is dripping with meat sauce stay tuned to hear it from the horse's mouth for the exclusive beef dripping with meat sauce writing it down and then he then he did another one i'm not even gonna change pictures the same fucking guy but he says the hottest oh. free agent has dipped his breadsticks into the all elite era it was an easy decision since since i didn't have any other job no he says it was an easy decision since i wasn't <laughs> going to give my equity back from the wwf ga- days i got my head hunted years ago by one of my students who i mentored to this day shy shy shahid and tony khan from there, I had given my life's work to help big media conglomerates to enhance their brand. TNT has been in my pocket since Teddy and I crushed WCW. So when they brought to me AEW, the first thing I thought, Alfreda Enchilada Wrestling. Head blown. Finally, someone that can mix cuisine into the squared circle. So when Tony offered me equity for my brand, I knew that the deal was going to be right. Tony offered me a VP position to get a piece of my ass. And I said, veal parm? Sure, but load me up with that unlimited pasta pass. Pass. He said, uh, yes, Lord Jesus. Is he hungry when he did this? <laughs> when the champion called me and said, we need your meat in our inner circle, I said it. Simple oh my to my God. WCW softball. <laughs> Show me the fuck money. I can't believe you just said that phrase Deal out done. loud. We signed the contract at my home turf, Olive Garden, and the rest was Wednesday night history. The catering has been upped, the story has been cemented, and the breadsticks are now forever unlimited. I, I, I you, ever see, so you, ever, you ever have something so off the walls you can't even laugh anymore? Like I just... I hadn't read that before I came on here. <laughs> I haven't read any of this before I came on here. I don't read anything before I, I came I, on I here. I couldn't anymore. look directly at them the whole time you were reading that. I had to look away. I had no idea that that's what that was. <laughs> that's fucked what up. You gonna do? What you gonna do when the meat sauce broke water? <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> We just talk about meat sauce, Mike, for the rest of the episode. Like this is fucking nuts. <laughs> oh, I'd rather not. You know the fucking <laughs> picture is. Oh my god. Oh, okay. All right. We're, we're gonna move on. We're gonna we're gonna hold hands. And we're gonna get through this. Damn it. Yeah, I don't know how. <laughs> so after they cleaned up the meat sauce, fucking uh, we had a tag team match. Jamie Hayter and. Emmy Sakura versus Riho and Shana. 
Yeah, more Riho bullshit. Oh, <laughs> God. Yeah. yeah, surprisingly, after after a crazy ending uh, reversal sequence, Sakura pins the champ. Uh-huh. You know what? What's so surprising about that? It, I mean, you know, they've been booking Riho like a beast ever since she showed up. So I was just like, oh, somebody pinned her. Holy shit. <laughs> Yeah, but it's, it's like now it's a little bit more realistic. You know, they need to come up with clever ways for someone her size to retain the title if she's not going to bulk up. And size does matter. You know, it has to be some sort of physics to this. You know, she doesn't have yeah. key. You know, she doesn't have chakra. There's no fucking way, you know, this is this should be working out the way that it does. I mean, know? the bitch got knees for days and stomps for days, but that ain't enough for you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, I guess it was okay for what it was, you know. Yeah, I mean, that ending sequence, like, it's just so much happened in that ending sequence at once. I was like, what the fuck? I had to watch the replay to realize what happened, but, yeah, it was a pretty wild match for sure, though. I, I love, um, <laughs> I love the fact that Sakura does, like, the queen stuff, and the crowd goes along with it. Yeah, yeah. It, which is funny, because, uh, <laughs> it's a bit much, her coming out completely dressed in Freddie Mercury attire with the mustache, you know? It's just kind of the like, mu- Oh, I lost on the mustache, like, bitch, really? So you're just going full Mercury, okay? Yeah, that's what it is, right? Maybe right there. I, I wasn't ready. Yeah. I like, what it was. You know what it was? It was so funny to me because I wasn't ready for the mustache. Write I was ready for everything else, just not the mustache. Write that down. Going full Mercury. <laughs> yeah, that's but yeah, she, else. she she is uh she's entertaining. The crowd loves her though. Like they they are so invested in her. I mean, she's she's fun. She's a lot of fun, and she's a talented wrestler as well. So. Mm-hmm. So then we have uh, Sean Spears versus Brandon Cutler. Obviously, they're keeping Sean Spears strong here because he goes over. And, uh, and uh, there's an entire whole thing that happens here with the backstage antics, obviously, thanks to uh, basically Tully and them being out there. But basically, Spears winds up, uh, what was exactly the finish to this? Cut- Cutler hits Spears with an insiguri. And then uh, Spears winds up avoiding um, Cutler and hitting the big boot. And the Death Valley driver DVDing him to go over. And then afterwards is the Tully situation where, um, he, um, slips a chair into the ring. And then, uh, Spears winds up hoisting up Cutler. And, um, he, he wants to hit him with the, uh, Death Valley driver. But instead, Janela winds up doing a run in and he spears, uh, Tully. And, um, and that was pretty much it, right? Yeah, that was pretty much it. The end of the chaos. Definitely. Building up to a big match between those two in the near future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And then uh, on to the main event. Uh, kind of a rare teaming between uh, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page against Sammy Guevara and Chris Jericho. Yeah, not that strange, though, because they're both in their in, in stables together. These two are elite, and the other two have their, their stable. And Jack Hager is yeah. also at ringside, by the way, for this. And, yeah, uh, it's mainly because like you don't usually see just Omega and Hangman teaming. You usually see a bunch mixed in with it, but... Uh, I mean, this fact that they've been teammates for so long is definitely obviously they're going to be natural together. But yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah it, it works. You know, it's funny how Jericho's team works. You know, oh, it like everything that just happens. Like as I say it every week, the change in Sammy Guevara has been probably one of the most impressive things I've seen. And the funny thing about it is those uh those that with the camera work you see him doing on the ramp, he legit posts that shit. Yeah, one of the somehow things has his been, YouTube just popped up on my recommenders one day. Right? Yeah, and you know what? One of the things that's been happening recently is people have been comparing Jericho's uh, inner circle to the NWO. 
And he's corrected it by saying that the difference is when you had the NWO, you had three top guys who all joined together to make this faction. Whereas with the inner circle, it's Jericho's vision. And uh, all of these other guys are more over now through this stable than they've been in their entire careers. So it's elevated a bunch of other people. Which actually makes it closer to evolution. I hate to make that comparison, but hey, you yeah. know, it is what it is. That's what exactly what evolution did. But, uh, yeah, I like Jericho's, uh, the stable, the inner circle. And he talked about how the vision's not done yet, that he also thought that it should always be, uh, that team and then like a, a, a girl. So, I mean, at some point, I guess they're going to incorporate a girl into it to, uh, yeah, to I know, um, through following her through Instagram, some people have thrown Eva Lee's name out there. Which yeah. she's not unfamiliar with being a heel. I think she'd actually be a pretty good fit for her. And we haven't seen her since double, since I think it was uh, double or nothing. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's possible. You know, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, so, well, how did they wrap this show up again? It was a, there was basically a battle. <laughs> a battle. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> a <laughs> This shit went all over the place. Like I've never seen, it. I like that it was done this way because it was just like a chain reaction. I asked whoopings. Yeah, because basically, uh, Pac comes out and he attacks uh, Hangman when Hangman's on the on the top turnbuckle, right? And uh, yeah, the referee isn't looking, and then uh, he winds up getting rolled into the ring, and then Jericho hits Judas effect, which I can't stand. Can't stand it. Mm-hmm. And he winds up going over, and then uh. Guevara and Hager and Jericho wind up beating up Hangman until Cody does a run-in and uh, winds up hitting, uh, taking out Sammy, you know, with the old gold dust spot, you know, drop down uppercut and then uh, clears the ring. Yeah. And MJF shows up, hits both uh, Jericho and Hager with chairs, tosses Jericho back in and Cody actually hit him with a crossroads. Mm-hmm, to top but it the party off. wasn't over because mm-hmm. Moxley showed up with a barbed wire bat. Mm-hmm. And, and then he winds up uh, going after Omega, and then uh, I don't know, it became a clusterfuck from here. Oh, it was just everything. I mean, freaking Ortana or Ortiz, and I almost said Ortana. Holy shit, Ortiz and Santana showed up. Then the Buck showed up. It actually ended with uh, Nick da- Nick Jackson hitting a huge dive spot off of uh, the top of one of the of one of the um, one of the steel trusses, and then uh, Omega and Moxley fought to the back. It's just it left a lot of chaos to go mm-hmm. to deal with uh, before pretty much the end of the show. Yeah, because it never really ends. The show ends before the chaos ends. There's no conclusion here. And what I like about that, like that's how you do a end of the night brawl. Not just everybody fighting at the same time, just all doing like little random little baby punches. Like everybody was legit fighting at the end of this. Go off the air hot. It's an old trick. Yeah. An oldie but a goodie. You yeah, know what I mean? Really yeah. good go home show, though, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, what what do you think overall of, uh, I guess, the entire dynamite? Do you think it's still keeping a uh, good momentum just in regards to the feel of the show? We're not talking about numbers or anything else. I mean, for the feel of the show, it definitely, for me especially, it is because every week when that show is going off the air, I'm literally like counting down to the next one because you know everything that's happened is going to have some kind of a follow-up. But then it's also what they've been doing with it where we're not always seeing the same people. Like, am I going to see Jericho show up next week? Are uh, 
is Sean Spears going to be around to continue listening with Joey Janela? Is Moxley just going to show up whenever? You don't necessarily know what's going to happen, but you have kind of an idea of at least what to keep an eye out for. So it gives you a level of curiosity going into that next week. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Which is what you always want to have. You don't want to just to have like, okay, I got six more days before I got to do this again. You're like, shit, six more days before I got to do this again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So that brings us to our, uh the show that everybody's been looking forward to talking about, right? Yep, AEW Full Gear. Their first uh, pay-per-view since being on live TV from Baltimore, Maryland. Awesome. And uh, this started off with the buy-in match, which was B. Priestley versus Britt Baker. It wasn't supposed to be buy-in, but according to uh, Tony Khan in the post-interview, he said that uh, it had to do partially with scheduling and then it had to do with personal issues, which I'm assuming the personal issues are that Britt Baker had the flu. How do I know that Britt Baker was wrestling with the flu? Because during this match, commentary put the flu over more than Britt Baker. They're just talking about the flu, the flu, the flu. Every few minutes, Taz out there by the the flu. She has the flu. Oh, she's wrestling with the flu. It's like, I'm not going to forget. You know, this is the first match. It's fresh information in my mind. She's wrestling with the I flu. Remember. Please remind me what she's wrestling with. Hey, Destin, what's she wrestling with? The flu. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> thank you. In case I forget, you know. And uh, you know what? I got to be honest, and I know we can blame the flu. I guess. But this was between sloppy and average. And at one point, they just collide against each other, kind of like in the game when two characters collide and do nothing, like they hit the ropes and then they collide and they recall off of each other. That's a moment. That's a moment that happened in the fucking match. I've never seen real people do that where they both hit the ropes and it was just like, Ugh. like nobody. It was, and then, and then they try to, uh, I don't know who it was, but someone in commentary tries to save and say, it's like a shoulder block. And I'm like, yeah, it's like one because it isn't one. So what's something that's not a shoulder block? Like two people just bump like that. It ain't shit. That's what it is. Like it was, at, at one point, Bree, like what was it? Uh, uh, Britt was down. Britt was, um, was down and B tries to throw this roundhouse kick whiffs the shit out of it and poor Brit just sells it anyway like fuck it all right <laughs> yeah and we're not running that shit back yeah and Brit's ace cutter was kind of ugly too there wasn't really a catch she didn't catch the neck or the head it was like she went forward before her so i was like that's everything just looks really really weird you know and and the sad part about it is like we kind of funny you go back to it Brit at least had Brit, Brit breaker at least has the excuse of the flu what the fuck happened with b Priestley? Yeah, exactly. She's not that good, man. B. Priestley does do what, um, the avalanche stomp to the outside on Britt, who's like hanging, um, on the apron. I thought that was a really cool spot. But that's the problem with these AEW fans. They're pre-programmed to pop. Like they pop for things that are underwhelming. They act like ECW fans, but there's no ECW shit happening, you know? And then, you know, I, I like AEW, but that's the thing. The fans are a little too unbiased, which is the same thing with NXT fans, where it's like they're there to pop. So no matter what happens, they're going to pop. If nothing happens, they're still going to pop. If something underwhelming happens, they're still going to go, oh. It's like if I was at a hot dog stand just going, AEW, AEW, AEW. <laughs> There's no fucking show going on, no match, nothing. I'm just crazy. You know, like sometimes something will happen and it's not that good of a sequence or it's something like a sloppy move. And they're still popping for it, you know. It's just kind of like they should still be objective. Like, I get it. That's what marking out is. You're overwhelmed by the excitement. You're there and everything. You're in the moment. There's AEW. It's new. It's fresh. But when something's just ugly or good, like, let them earn it a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, just, like, like, like when the bitch whiffs the kick, don't AEW. No. You know, yeah, you don't have to be there to pop. You know, but then afterwards, uh, after the match, well, actually, I'm sorry, we didn't even talk about the match in regards to, to things like that, but, Be- but Bea Priestley goes over with the, uh, with the lockjaw, like she said she was going to do. Yeah, uh, yeah Britt Baker. 
Yeah, I'm sorry, but Baker goes over the line. It'll be weird how humiliating with that event would be a Presley going over. Right, that's such a kick in the nuts. Like, yeah, and, and then after it all, some Kong and Brandy show up, and uh, Kong winds up hitting a back fist on, on Bria Presley, and then she hands a knife to Brandy, which is very unusual in wrestling, and then she winds up hitting the implant buster on Bria Presley, and then she hands the knife back to Kong, and they cut like a piece of Bria Presley's hair, but it was like such an underwhelming segment because she cut like a safe part of her hair where no visible damage was done. Like I said in the chat room at the time, the equivocal of a dude taking tweezers to his not hair it's just like all right you know he's ruined no <laughs> you know I, I guess it's more the fact just like she cut a piece of her hair so they're like what the fuck yeah it was that? more symbolic which i guess i mean it's gonna be their thing where like they said oh it's like she's taking apart her like they're gonna down people and then do that so get ready girls only you i hope you're you're willing to have fucking locks of your head or maybe don't have to do like a hair prop for some people i don't know or have a weave-in or an extension or something. all i'm saying is but, i can't wait to see them do it the big swole because that's gonna be funny because that bitch only had like seven braids on her hair in the first place you know, but yeah, they're doing they're, they're doing that thing. I don't know how I feel about the brandy thing, her being there, what the hell they're going for. It's not compelling or interesting to me. Maybe it will get interesting, but I don't think so. I'm gonna call it. I don't think that. It's I mean, be. I almost feel like we don't see it enough for it to be interesting yet. Like. But the things I have seen, it doesn't make it that different. It's the same exact run that they tried to give Awesome Kong when she was Karma in WWE, where she would just come out, do something intimidating, hit someone with the implant buster, except now Brandy standing there next to her, not as an interviewer. Yeah, and she ain't get pregnant. was kind of like, yeah, I've seen this before, and I also saw it in TNA. And to me, Kong's best run is still in TNA. That Gail Kim shit is still some of the best wrestling that's ever happened. You know? But oh well. They, would, you know? they, they constantly stole the show with that. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens there. So uh, what was after this? It was the Young Bucks uh, against... Uh, Proud and Powerful, which is Santana and Ortiz, LAX as we know them, which they go over with that street sweeper spot that they do, right? And yeah, the powerbomb neckbreaker combination. Powerbomb yeah. blockbuster. Really. Yeah. With afterwards, Sammy Garver comes down to celebrate. And uh, basically, this causes the big, another big clusterfuck where the Rock and Roll Express are there. And, and Ricky, and, and don't ask me how Ricky winds up hitting a fucking Canadian destroyer. They're a suicide <laughs> dive from the Rock and Roll Express. Yo. You know? <laughs> I'm sorry. That was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. To and, see Ricky fucking Morton hit a destroyer and Santana sold this shit. <laughs> at this, at their age, these guys can still go and it blows my mind. You know, there's that crazy camel clutch, the Boston crab combo that they did on the Bucks. Um, talking about LAX, of course. Um, the sliced bread powerbomb combo to the young Bucks, uh, basically Motor City spot. Yeah. You know, melts the driver attempt, but, the- but, but, um, Nick winding up falling off of the springboard because I guess they're selling his leg injury. Yeah, the big story of this match was that uh, Nick was basically having a busted leg, right. which I had even said in the chat room. The one dangerous thing that put is they is Santana Ortiz took the the Bucks kill shot from them. That uh, that the Melter Driver Indy Taker. That's their like that's virtually like their finisher. So I remember I think I said at one point the only chance they had is if Nick could hold him. Because all he would have to do I, is stand on one leg, but because we've seen them do it on opposite ends. I could have gone without all the gum spitting and shit, you know. Yeah, that was a that was a bit off the walls. I was like, what the fuck? No, no, okay, that's what we're doing. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a wild match between these two teams, though for sure. Yeah. Like AEW has probably one of the most stacked tag team divisions from top to bottom I've ever seen. Hmm. Absolutely. Okay, it did actually kind of make me laugh to see uh was it um, Ortiz pulled himself up on the ropes by his teeth? I don't know why he's crazy now, but I mean, hey, he he works it. So. Mm-hmm. 
was next in this rotation here. It was our, what, Hangman Page against Pac? Yep, the rematch. Yeah, what are your thoughts on this? Oh, man, I mean, the streak's over. <laughs> I can't, I couldn't, I think this match was absolutely, I love this feud. Because it's kind of funny to think that um, after everything that happened with uh, Pac showing up at AEW late, for that to be the guy he was originally supposed to face in his very first match to be the one to finally beat him. Well, let's get into that. What was the finish? Oh, God. Finish this was, um, Jesus Christ, what was the finish? Give me just a sec. But Pac tries <laughs> to, um, Pac tries to, um, tri- he, he does the old trick of distracting the ref, um, so that he can do a back dick kick to Paige, but Paige catches his foot and then he hits him with two nasty lariats followed by the dead eye. So, um, yeah. We pretty much get heel tactics that failed with the baby face going over. I like I like that he like, he went for it again because I think that, that was what caught him the first time around. But I like that it's just we basically saw Hangman Hangman learn from the first time. He saw the he saw what he made the mistake on the first time was not keeping that eye out for Pac because I mean we've established long ago Pac doesn't care how he wins. At the end know. of the day, as long as he wins and he walks away with the W, that's all he's ever cared about. But this was a physical match. Like I think that early um, suicide dive by Adam Page onto um, the tables, and then Pac whipping him, whipping him um, in the face using the ring ropes. Just nasty, violent match between these two. Which I mean, I I don't know how many more many more of those they have in them because apparently they're supposed to fight again this week because they're one and one. So it, I don't know how much worse it can get between these two. Yeah, it's funny because during this match, Jr. Um, he sort of makes a joke um, about the uh, the suicide dive. Like he calls it um, the he when 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 the suicide dive happens, he calls it a suicide tortilla. And because uh, he's making fun of the fact that people now call it a tope suicida, and uh, he's like, it used to be a suicide dive in my day. And then uh, you know who who's his uh, partner out there? What was it, uh, Excalibur? Yeah, Excalibur. He's like, oh, that's the Spanish version. And then JR's like, I'll just use the English version. And I'm just thinking, that's kind of funny. It's the same guy who always uses Hurricane Rana over Frankensteiner for decades. <laughs> and you know what they say in the locker room, man? You never call that shit a, a, a Hurricane Rana at any event that the Steiners are around. Next you know, we see the no, Steiners no, get signed if, to AEW. If Scott Steiner's backstage, if Scott Steiner's backstage, that shit's not a Hurricane Rana. It's a Frankensteiner. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's just kind of funny to hear him like criticize the Tope Suicida. You know, my day was suicide diving. It's like, yeah, but you've been calling a Frankenstein or Hurricane Rana. You're sort of one of the people that founded calling things by the Spanish fucking name of it. And now we can't say Tope Suicida. Get out of here, man. What's going on? Don't be, don't be yeah. like that. You know, like, what is that? You've been calling it a Hurricane Rana so long that people don't even realize it's a fucking Frankenstein or unless they're like from decades ago. They, they just think that that's an English thing. It's a Hurricane Rana. <laughs> you know, it's just like, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah. Oh god! But I think one of my favorite moments in the match, probably one of the best cases of storytelling, was a uh, uh, Page went for the dead eye, but then Pac got it into the brutalizer. And I like kind of like the oh, I almost don't even know how to describe it. It's like a little bit of consciousness left, but you still saw the fear in Page's eyes that he might go to sleep again. Yeah, and it was yeah. just enough. He was like, "Oh shit, I got enough to get to the ropes. I need to get to the ropes." Like he knew if he doesn't get to the ropes, he's out, and there's nothing you can do about it. 
Yeah, very good match. And um, Adam Page, I think they put a post uh, interview up with him. Let me see if I click this here. What the hell this is? Probably, probably. Oh, busted eardrum. I can't. I, like I'm, I can't hear. <laughs> so yell at me, please. Where the busted eardrum come from? Uh, Sammy, little prick, smack me right in my ear, busted. You know, I can't look deaf out of this ear. Kind of sucks. Yeah. How's it feel to get that vindication against back in the match today? Um. I don't know if that's what it is. Uh, it's it's weird. Like I I don't talk about it a lot, but I'm feeling good tonight, so maybe I will. It's weird um, being in the elite, right, and being me. Um, and my my teammates are the best bout machine, the greatest tag team of all time, Mr. AEW Cody. Um, and it's hard, man. It's big shoes to, to fill as as far as partners. Um, and I felt like this year I haven't, <laughs> I have not done it, you know? Um, and I beat Pack tonight and I'm happy about it, I really am. Uh, but we're one and one, you know? So I haven't really, really beat him, you know, in the way that I need to, I think. Um, so I'd like to have a rubber match, to be honest with you, you know what I mean? Between the two of us. Um, and I'd like to probably have it as soon as possible. Where are we, uh, where are we at Wednesday? Yelna? Where at? Nashville, that's a place, good place to do some cowboy shit. <laughs> Wednesday, he'll do it Wednesday, I think, huh? I mean, I, I can't make matches, but we'll, we'll do it Wednesday. For, uh, for how, what was going through your head when you and the Bucks came out to try to stop Kenny from, or, or were you trying to ask him if it was time to bring out the barbed wire, or was you wondering what was going on in that moment? <laughs> I didn't know about this damn thing until, uh, like, halfway through the show. Okay. Uh, like, after my match. They they clued me in on it and said he wanted us to do it. I don't I don't know, man. We didn't. Uh, we told him no. But I mean, what are you gonna do? This dude's out of his mind, screaming at you to, to bring this thing out of there for him. I mean, you can't just keep saying no forever. He keeps screaming. You might as well, dude. He's he's a psycho, and you just have to let him let him give into it a little bit, I guess. So you're clearly walking with a lot of emotion. Today was a very special day for AEW and yourself. Um, I think we all can agree that pets are family. How's the burden of and the, and the grieving process been of um, you losing your horse? Oh shoot, man! Hunter it's, horse uh, it's been tough. You know, it's it's not like a dog where when your dog dies, you just get another one. You have a horse die; it's different. You know, it takes time. I think. Uh, and they're giving him his I've, own press conference here, huh? I bonded with Chuck right? about it. Uh, he had a horse die. On his birthday, when he was a kid. I mean, 20 years ago or more. Um, still a dead horse. Holy shit, so is this nine minutes? We bonded nine a minutes? over it, maybe. Good lord. Um, I don't know if he would admit to as such. Uh, but we- okay, well, if you guys want to see the rest of it, I'll, and the link is up on our social media in the chat room. We're going to shit to do here. Right? We out here. Come on now. What y'all doing? But, uh, yeah. And then up next, well, I guess I got my Christmas wish. Because we had uh, Sean Spears versus Joey Janela. And this one, good golly, Miss Molly. Finish to this was Sean Spears and Tully Blanchard hit Joey Janela with a spike pile driver on the outside, followed by what was it, C4? For, yeah, the C4 Death Valley driver for the win. But, but Spears removes the. Uh the top turnbuckle to distract the ref so that the ref's busy putting it back. That way, this spike pile driver can happen. Oh, God, that was... 
you know, and then I, I, followed by pretty much that C4 Death Valley driver on the outside. I haven't seen one. Of, I haven't seen a spike crawl driver like that one in so long. <laughs> like, I was at the old school one. Yeah, good match, man. Also, nice catch power slam by Spears off of the apron. Oh, that one. That's that thud. Yeah. Just sounded nasty. I like uh, Spears <laughs> using the tag rope and tying Janela's hair to the corner. Yeah, I remember reading in the chat room when you said that's different. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I've seen this before. <laughs> like, all right, what we do now? Yeah, poor Janelle had to rip a chunk of his hair out after after um taking a little bit of a beating. Oh man, but yeah, freaking Janela just throwing his body like it's nobody's business. Yeah, Janela, yeah, including that f- flipping senton from the top to the outside. Oh, dude, he. Like this, I, I does the kid feel pain? Like I don't understand. Like yeah. that man throws his body without giving a single fuck how he lands. They should probably just be a little bit more careful, though. You know, as far as uh, if you want to have a long term career, some of this shit is like really. It's like there's something crazy every. I don't want to sound like an old fogey, but there's there's like a lot of crazy things all at once all the time. You know what I mean? Like there's just always, yeah. always some crazy shit like that happening, almost no matter what kind of a match you're watching. Yeah, I mean, I like the fact that this does show that Joey Janela can wrestle regular matches. There doesn't always have to be weapons involved, which they've been doing a lot with like guys like him and Darby Allen and Jimmy Havoc a lot lately. They're showing more like, hey, these guys aren't just like hardcore wrestlers. They can also get in there and just do the regular stuff, too. Yeah, yeah, I definitely do see that. Yeah, but I mean, things are looking bright for uh, Spears for sure. I mean, dude's been racking up quite a few wins I want to see what's next for him because I think there is a title shot probably in his future. He's another guy he rarely ever loses in AEW. And they've been showing that win-loss records are going to mean a lot in this company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Damn it, I want to see Joey Janela get a win. I don't think the man's won since AEW's been around. We need to fix this. <laughs> is that the truth, really? I, I, I don't recall him ever winning a match since he's been here. Well, it's still in, the, in, in its infancy stages, you know? Yeah. Got to give it a little bit of time. It's still, he just needs a few good wins, and I think he'll be able to get something rolling for sure. Because, I mean, dude's talented. Dude's absolutely incredible. And, I mean, he could take an ass kicking and a half. Yeah, but it's going to be the only time we'll tell we'll see what's going to happen. We still got a lot of room to work with with a lot of these guys. We even haven't gotten wins in AEW yet because there's a lot of people who haven't captured that first win yet. Uh-huh. And, uh... Basically, after this, we get this, um, it's almost like a backstage segment where Golden Boy winds up interviewing Kip Sabian and, uh, he pops up with Penelope Ford, which, um, yeah, I guess they're going to be doing something together now, right? Yeah, I guess it's going to be his valet, yeah. which is ironic because that was kind of funny. The timing that used to be Joey Janela's chip. Yeah. And he says, why be bad when you can be super bad? So I guess that's what they're going to be called. Oh, God. About to get ready. All right, in here. <laughs> yeah, but I want to see what happens with it. It could be good. It's kind of like this sudden heel turn with Kip Sabian. It's kind of intrigued me. So, hoping that it'll actually get some little bit more mileage out of him. We've hardly seen him that many times. So. Yeah. Then we have SCU. Frank Kazarian and Scorpio Sky defending against the Lucha Bros and Private Party in a three-way tag match. Yeah, uh, and of course, um, SCU finishes off uh, Isaiah. Wait, she's just Isaiah Cassidy with the SCU later. It's a weird finisher, isn't it? Like I've never seen something yeah. like that before. Like 
I like it. I definitely. Yeah, like I like it. Like I, I like I guess. I guess it's literally like almost a brand new finisher that they only started using at AEW because I don't recall ever seeing it before. How would you describe it? So the only way I could think of describe it, this is like really the best I could do almost from visual. It looks like a mix between some kind of like a version of a full Nelson and then Sky will whip whoever it is to the side and they'll run right into um basically a rising knee from Cresaria. Yeah. Like, it's one of the oddest moves I've ever seen, but it looks horrific to take. Uh-huh. And it doesn't end there, though, because after um that, the Lucha Bros wind up beating the hell out of SCU. And poor Kaz is about to uh take a pile driver onto a chair from Pentagon when a fake Pentagon appears. Pentagon Trace, is that what they call them? Yeah, I was confused. I was like, what? Is there, <laughs> is there some sort of fucking Lucha Underground shit I didn't know about? Because I don't watch that. You know what the sad part about it is? The irony in you saying that is literally the last thing I ever saw Pentagon do in Lucha Underground was the attack by somebody who looked just like him. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, wow, what is going great. on here? You know, like I, I thought this was going to be another character. Like, are there going to be three of them now? Or what is this? You know, a few now? But nope, just Christopher Daniels in disguise. And uh, yeah, you know, he 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 gets his uh he gets his heat back. You know, coming after these guys, and I guess he's back from injury officially, so it wasn't that bad of an injury. Yeah. Maybe he just needed a little bit of time to heal up, but I mean, it's good that he got it for sure. And I guess, what would you do? Would you have this still be a full-blown SU versus Lucha Brothers, or would you just, like, have it be just Pentagon and Daniels, because they have that beef with each other? i let it be SCU, but at the same time, there's only two Lucha Brothers. Yeah, they're going to need to find another partner. Which, I mean, they have friends out there they have connections to conan so they could literally make one phone call and then they got a third person but it's like who would it be if that was the case well does AEW have anyone signed that they haven't used that would fit that third role um unless they signed laredo kid which i don't know if they did that's the only person i could think of but it's kind of hard to say like maybe this is just somebody we haven't heard about if they're gonna have a third person maybe like it's a signing we haven't heard about yet and you don't want them to break the chemistry of just the two of them, the Lucha Bros, you know? Yeah. Because they're yeah, both a, a good team while being unique in different ways. Exactly. And I mean, I've never seen Phoenix be this edgy before. Like, the dude's just like, he's just mean now. I usually see him kind of flashy and all athletic, which, I mean, the stuff this dude does, it's, it's absolutely incredible the level of athleticism that Phoenix has. Like, the yeah. tightrope moves, the dives... One of my favorite moves that he does is when he um goes to one corner, runs across the ropes, and then sidekicks where he's on the top turnbuckle on the other side. Yeah, I mean, all of that shit is absolutely crazy. And uh, the- I don't want to count out also uh, Private Party here because they have a lot of crazy double teams. There's shit they do that I don't even really know how to explain. You know, it's, like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't know what that was. That was just something that they do. But yeah, they were cool things. I like the face buster into the bulldog leg drop from Isaiah Cassidy. You know, like this. But the, some of the spots and moves and double teams, it's like great stuff. It's good when you have uh, tag teams that know how to keep it fresh and do things like that, you know? Yeah. It's just like these three teams definitely went very well together. I mean, SCU as champions, it definitely wasn't expected. It's amazing that it happened. But one thing I sure, I, I've never felt a tag team champions to be more in danger 
than SCU is because, like you said, this is the this is top to bottom. There are contenders in every single team in this tag team division, and they're dealing with not only one of the part of the most high flying athletic ones outside of the Young Bucks. They're dealing with borderline murderers and the Lucha Brothers. Yeah, because we've and, clearly and, seen they'll kill off almost anybody they need to to get to those tag titles. It's funny, I find Pentagon to be the more intimidating. Not that Phoenix isn't bad; they're both badasses, but it's just that Pentagon just comes off as don't like you. Really, probably shouldn't mess with him. Yeah, I want to say he's the older of the two, but yeah, that's how I've always known Pentagon to be. In fact, um, watching them through Lucha Underground, I always saw Phoenix as more of like, I guess like, if you had to have a good cop, bad cop, Phoenix would be the good cop. Yeah, man. Really, really cool characters. I like them a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely incredible tag team. Like, AEW hit the jackpot three times over getting those two. Mm Mm-hmm. Like they they call themselves the best tag team in the universe. It's kind of hard to argue with those two. And then we have uh, Riho defending it, Emi Sakura, which the whole story to this being that that is her teacher, right? This is teacher versus student, with the student being the champion hold, the championship holder. You know, so for the yeah. AEW Women's Championship, I like the promo Emi Sakura did the video package where she talks about how if this were a Hollywood movie, um, at the end of it, Riho would win, but um. It's not because there's still more of a story to tell. Unfortunately, there wasn't because Riho does go over with like, what was that? Like some sort of a tilt the world into a cover? Yeah, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. It was like a tilt the world, which looked like it was going to be an arm drag, but she rolled it into a sunset flip for the win. Yeah, very well done. Um, again, Riho, you know, I, I'm, I'm, it's challenging because she's so damn small. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what she does, she does well, but it's just a size. It's just like, Oh, like I, I almost I have to force that out of my mind to enjoy the match. Cause I mean the girl's good. She's really talented, bumps like a beast, works absolutely incredible, but it's the fact that she's so much smaller than everybody else in this division. And Sakura got it backwards. If this was a Hollywood movie, Riho would be the one that goes over. If this was real life, Sakura would. <laughs> this is a real way of a one shot kill and I mean, it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, good. You know, good for what it was. I'm glad they have backstories and stuff like that going on there. I just need yeah. to see more out of that division. I just, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I kind of like that at the end. Uh, Emmy almost looked sad that she didn't win the championship, but proud that she taught her student well enough to where she could beat her. The student surpassing the master. You know, if this yeah. was a kung fu flick, that would have been the story. So exactly, you know. who's the master for Rio? I say, who's the master? No. <laughs> You should see it coming. Come on, man. You know this. <laughs> so then Chris Jericho defends against Cody. Singles match for the AEW World Championship. Um, a whole bunch of shit happens here, but the most notable to me was, was Cody. I don't even know what happened. I don't understand how these things are happening. Like sometimes you the funny thing it. is, mm-hmm. and we're gonna get to it. But after I uh, when they showed the replay, I think I know what happened. But just keep going. Yeah, so he Cody takes this crazy bump. How can I describe this? So the so the ramp is elevated. They have one of those elevator ramps, which I hate those. That's just like asking for someone to die whenever I see that shit. But they have this elevated ramp at ringside, and Jericho's set up standing on the outside of it, opposite side of the ropes, and Cody comes and basically just does like a dive. But it's just he almost leader dives. It's one top rope leader dive onto that. You know, and his whole head hits like the whole his whole fucking face hits. 
and uh, he gets busted open really badly. Like he's bleeding all over. Like he busted himself open. Oh yeah, like there was there was no blade job. Homie gashed himself. Yeah, he had eight stitches, and uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing this right. A coast a costochondral separation, whatever the fuck that is. Oh god, yeah, it, it was rough. But um, when they showed the replay of what happened. I think obviously the elevated plot, the elevated ramp played into it. But if you watch the dive, one thing I noticed that Cody did, I don't know why he did this. I don't know if he got scared that he was going to get hung up. But when he when he was about halfway over, he kicked his feet up and that's what leaned him forward. If he didn't do that, he probably was just hit flat. But him kicking his feet up tilted his body forward. And that's why he hit face first. So that's that's another thing where that elevated uh platform hurts you because you can't do a regular suicide dive like that. Which we've seen we've seen Cody do suicide dives. He had to do almost kind of like a taker style one. And no, cool, it's not a rib injury. There's also a rib injury from the way he landed. But believe me, there's a fucking face injury. Oh yeah. And you mentioned Big Hernandez. Don't nobody want Hernandez and his shitty attitude over here. But um yeah. Yeah, I'm putting it up on the screen for you right now, man. You tell me that there's a fucking rib injury. Oh my god, the rib injury was the least of his concerns. He looks like somebody hit him in the face with an axe. People are telling me he that he bladed. What the what, it, it, what kind of blade did he use? Excalibur? <laughs> you use fucking William Wallace's Claymore? What what fucking blade did he use? You see that? If that if, if this was a USC, they would stop the fight. <laughs> it goes across his eyebrow they would have stopped the fight for, for less and yeah if you're listening on the man just go to our twitter um yeah go right there and it's on our it's yeah. in the chat room right now chat room shouldn't need it though i mean it's on the actual screen unless they have audio only on but yeah there yeah. it is you see how crazy that is that's shit fucking nuts but yeah the finish of this match wound up being uh after cody was in the walls jericho for a while Jericho puts Cody in the most horrific-looking lion tamer I've ever seen. Like, the man's face is on the ground, his neck is turned, and his back is bent. And MJF basically throws in the towel. Because if I don't know if, I don't know if it looked the same from everybody else's angle, it looked like Cody was just out. And, like, I, he was basically just, he, like, his unconscious body was basically just getting, like, bent into. I didn't see that, but, and, I, and I don't think that's the angle that they would go with, given the circumstances of what happens afterwards. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was just for me, it was the fact that he wasn't moving at all. There'd be no point. But then they get that angle, too. Right. Because obviously, you know, spoiler alert, but MJF afterwards, he's begging Cody's forgiveness for throwing in the towel. Cody finally forgives him and hugs him. And then he pulls, ironically, a Jericho versus Shawn Michaels and fucking kicks him in the balls. And uh, I think if they were going to go that far, there's no point in doing the angle of that. If you look at it from a certain camera angle, Cody was unconscious and that's when he threw in the towel. Because why, why at this point even try to give him that credibility? If you're trying to push him as a fucking heel, there's no point yeah. in being like, so what does that mean? That, at that after that moment is that that moment is when he decided later? You know, he yeah. was a friend. Up until say, that I think it's just thing. that camera angle almost made it look as if he was out, but he wasn't actually though. And that's the way you allow Cody to not really lose momentum from this loss is that he didn't really lose. His friend fucked him over and threw in the towel. At originally, it looked like a, a friend looking out for a friend, but moments later, we realized that it was really someone who's jealous of him that fucked him over and threw in the towel. It gives him back his credibility for this loss, and it also leaves somewhat of an open hope window where now maybe he won't have a thing where he can't def- ever go after the AEW World Championship for the rest of his life because that's fucking ridiculous. If it was, yeah. if he does leave it that way, so 
I think the way they did it left it open for another storyline, you know, and I think that that's like a really good idea. Yeah, and I mean, like literally, like when it comes to AEW standards, freaking the ultimate heel turn. Like he's, if you look at just, if you look at it just in that present moment, like the way he screwed him over, like that's like nuclear heat in kayfabe sense. Yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah, it's crazy. And, uh, he, oh my god, that was crazy. That was also a why I kind of, and they've been kind of planting the seeds for it. But I think when the moment when um I can't remember who it was that handed MJF the chair and they just want to wipe it out the inner circle, they swerved it away just a bit. Yeah, but you know what? Those are the pros. Let's just talk about um I guess some of the cons. The cons are that they took away one of my coolest one to me one of the coolest elements, if you will, of MJF where he's a heel, but he was still aligned with the Rhodes family, giving the character more dimension, more instead of being a darker light character, more being a shade of gray, because that's what they said. We were going to have more realistic characters in this. That's what they said in all the press conferences. No one was going to be heel or face. Everyone was just going to be themselves. And depending on the circumstances, depending on how they would behave, meaning who, what friends are around, what enemies are around, that sort of makes you have a tangled web, which is what keeps things interesting. It keeps it interesting in comic books, anime, fantasy novels those tangled webs of who's on whose side is what keeps it interesting they took that uh they took that away you know and now mjf is the heel that everyone expected him to be all this time you know which i always liked the fact that it was like is he going to turn is he going to turn he has the chair in his hand is this going to be and he doesn't do it because you know for once we had something where the guy didn't need to do it but he did it so now it's like every other angle where we were just waiting for it to happen and it eventually did happen so when you read yeah. this in the history books, if you ever read this in the history books, it's going to just basically sound just like every other angle where the heel turned. Or it's just like, yeah, they were friends and it always looked like he might turn and eventually he did. I would have really liked for them to use this opportunity since it was unique for them to do something different to get to that point. That doesn't mean he can't eventually turn heel and feud with Cody, but maybe it just doesn't have to be mwahaha conniving, rub his hands together bullshit. Maybe there could have been some sort of a miscommunication that almost made MJF, despite being a heel, his decision of turning heel makes him more of an empathetic heel. And that, and that's something that we've seen in a lot of um, our culture lately in television. If you look at walking dead game of Thrones and things like that, you have, um, you know, antagonists that are bad, that do, do things to your protagonist characters. But then when you go into their stuff, it's like, I could still see why he did that shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, those are the bad guys because we're looking at the good guys. But you know what? I could totally see why you would do that kind of shit. You know, you see yeah, characters. Negan will almost be an example. Negan's a great example. You know, there's a character where it's like, yeah, he was doing this. But that this guy, we can see the other side of the villainy. And if we ever do need to turn him, it'll be relatable. They had MJF in that position, you know, where I'm not saying don't turn on Cody. I'm just saying it should have been something somehow elaborately turned into a thing where it was well that's somewhat understandable because then that makes it more of a it's a shame that this friendship blew up situation which is more art imitating life because that's really how friendships blow up it's never just one person and turning on the other it's usually two different perspectives colliding perspectives views philosophies and values and neither one realizing from their perspective that it might be just a little bit off and they just can't agree that's something that I would have liked to see since it already felt that way, having a character that was a heel that, that was doing baby face shit. But it's just, it just uh, like I was said, I was disappointed because, yeah, everybody got that moment that, oh, but, I, but I've had that moment a million times. I just thought this was this had potential to be something else. And this isn't just me complaining. You know, this is uh, you've heard me praise for a long time the position they put MJF in. 
You know what I mean? Like you've heard me praise that for a while. Yeah. So like I said, now he's just a heel. So I guess now as a heel, he's going to feud with Cody. And now thankfully it'll probably be a drawn out feud, at least till the next pay-per-view, which by the way, they've announced that the pay-per-views, they're going to have four. They're going to be seasonal pay-per-views. Those are the first two. So I mean, the next season, those will be the same names of those two. And we'll find out what three and four are going to be. So this next season, we can safely assume Cody's going to be teaming. I'm, I'm basically feuding with MJF. Yeah. And uh, that gives them the clear to not have to worry, at least for the foreseeable future, um, about the fact that Cody can't go for the title because he's not going to be going for the title. He's going to be feuding with, with MJF. And you know what the philosophy is of wrestling booking. They say wrestling fans, even though I disagree with this, they say wrestling fans have short memories. So we just bring this shit back around later on and somehow fix it, which is what they'll do. But, um, yeah, like I said, it's just interesting that they went so quickly into this turn. Yeah, I definitely didn't want it to be so quickly, but I think the only reason I don't have as much of a problem with it is because the way and the way I've noticed with MJF's personality, you almost had to think, I mean, he's always said MJF, he's better than everybody else. I almost kind of look at it as a situation of it's only it just takes a like what's going to be the situation where he finally decides, wait a minute. If what, why are they talking about these two when MJF is here? You know, like even the fact of him and Cody being best friends, something about MJF's personality makes me feel like at any moment he could stab anybody in the back just because of his obsession with being the best. And that's the reason you don't make him stab anybody in the in the back at any moment, because he feels like he's going to. You can ride that tension out forever. Yeah. You know, that's how you make compelling characters on TV. You know, characters that always always seem like they might, but they don't. Or if they do, it takes an extreme situation. You know, turning yeah. on your best friend. How many times have we seen that shit? You know, it's more believable. If you have anything, even though it went the right way, it's more believable when the character is always a heel. Or, or I mean, rather always than always being a heel when he's always a face. You know, when you have a character who they've been buddies up until the moment where the shit happens. Then it's like, wow, this was more like everyone was waiting and waiting and then they gave it to us. And I guess there's not really many ways. It's wrestling. You know, you can't give them like a crazy, elaborate George R. R. Martin style storyline. Yeah, like you, you don't, don't want to mess up and then sit there talking about the pizzas are coming on you. But, you know, a typical heel turn. Um, and as I'm watching it, like I kind of expected it. Not before the towel, but right after the towel. I was wondering, like, is this it? Like, it's not like I was sitting here naive up until he kicked him. Like, oh, shit. It was like, is this it? Are they going in that direction? You know, I watch wrestling for decades, so it's not like, you know, I'm the, is it going to happen? Like, it wouldn't have surprised me if it didn't because they, they were doing really good at the teasing. Because if it didn't, that would have been another cool moment. Yeah, yo, for a minute, I thought he was going to fucking hit him afterwards. But no, he just helped him to the back and they forgave each other. Tension still build. Yeah. You know what? Cody's known for turning heel. They could have rolled this out and then everyone's expecting it to be him. And then in the future, he turns on MJF and you have a double turn now because you think you forgot all about it. And then when MJF has an opportunity, Cody comes in with a fucking crossroads of a disaster kick because of the shit that happened when he threw in the towel. You know what I mean? Just I think just all kinds of cool stuff could have came out of it, except except just giving us the regular the regular thing that they gave us, you know, and I guess that's just me being selfish in some ways. But at the same time, I wouldn't let that slide if it was WWE. You know what I mean? So I can't be, I'm not yeah. going to be those ECW fans that just, or, or those AEW fans that just blindly pop to everything. I'm just saying that things to, with them trying to be so different and making these compelling characters, I think that that just could have been a cool thing since it was entertaining me, you know? What's yeah. up, Shane? How you and, doing, man? And I could definitely also understand it because you could look at like when 
if, if he was going to do it, do it when it's going to matter the most, I guess. And you got to think, like, when's another situation when it matters the most going to come up? Definitely, there's definitely, there's a lot of ways this could have gone besides just the regular heel turn. But, I mean, it was good for what it was. But there's probably a lot more ways it definitely could have gone. Probably not so as soon as well. But And by the way, anybody asking that uh, that image that you're looking at on the screen, that's Cody's mom stitching him up. Mama Rose. Mama Rose was a gangster tonight, she. Yeah, right. She's, I guess she's, come, she, she's probably probably not the first time she's had to stitch a rose head. Uh, yeah, that's what they were saying. Just, I think I love, I think at one point I think it was Jr. said like she's seen rose blood before. I love how Jericho yeah, got in her face and she goes "fuck you." And I was just like, "Yes." Yeah, because when I first saw this on uh, on Twitter, I was just thinking to myself, "What the fuck is uh, his mom doing stitching him?" And then I realized, yeah, you know, she just this must have happened before. You know, you've heard stories of uh, old school wrestlers for anyone that's not familiar with that. Since they don't have medical, a lot of them have been known to do their own shit like this. Yeah, you know, I've heard about uh, if we listen to Fabulous Moolah, she's talked about having her fucking teeth knocked out and then pushing them back into her face. You know, oh, yeah, she's talked. They've talked. You've heard wrestlers talk about getting busted open and not wanting to go to the doctor. So they'll use crazy glue. Instead of getting stitches and crazy glue the wound back together so that it'll heal. I mean, you know, we're talking, we, we've I mean, heard. I've heard stories back in the day before it was the way that it was. Now you guys don't understand what the what the landscape of territorial and old school wrestling was. These motherfuckers, and they still are, but you know, now we have, you know, we're more civilized. But just the things that they do. So to to, to a woman that came from that era, that her family was from that era of wrestling. It ain't shit to have to stitch somebody. <laughs> I mean, you know we, we, I mean, we've heard the story, and if you watch the match, you can see it in the freaking barbed wire match between Sabu and Terry Funk, where freaking Sabu basically patched his own arm back together. This is why when you in hear the them middle say, of the match, like, yeah, this is why when you hear them say that somebody's like a third or fourth generation wrestler or whatever, it's it's it doesn't just mean all, you know. I mean, there's there's some meaning to that shit, man, because these you don't yeah. understand what this business has meant to people from these lines, and that doesn't mean that the up and comers aren't that. But when you have, you're not gonna have a mom who's gonna stitch your head unless you came from a generation of wrestlers, you know what I mean? Unless you're a wrestling family, you know. Exactly. So, you know, and, I, and, sure, and, and, and Shane, the only problem with that is you sit there and tell me that MGF and Pentagon will ever be in the same room together and not punch each other in the face. I'm just, oh, God, Stacey said she probably stitched Uncle Fred, too. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Holy fuck. Oh, God. Uncle Fred. Oh, the fucking greatest line ever. Is that Uncle Fred? No, he said, I think that's Uncle Fred. Oh, oh man. But yeah, when it comes to the official matches, that was the end of the night. Did I put that but, in the chat room yet for you guys? I don't want anybody to miss it and then get angry at us. You know, you said the shit was in the chat room. Oh, yeah, 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 we already got it up. It's it. already there. Yeah, good, good. Sorry, can't keep track of all these windows, guys. If you looked at my screen, you'd have a stroke. <laughs> Twice. Yeah. What? Yeah, no, it'd be once per tab. I've seen it. <laughs> but um, yeah, as for the sanction stuff. That was the end of the night, but we had one last, literally as I described in the chat room, ride to hell left, because it's lights out time. John Moxley versus Kenny Omega. Oh. Yeah, what the what to say about John Moxley <laughs> First of against all, Kenny Omega? Listen, I can't. <laughs> there can't. There came a point where I just even like because I'll keep a few footnotes just so that when we come on, we can talk. There's a point why I stopped. But I'll just tell you from my perspective 
Um, this was barbed wire brooms, garbage can moon salts, gold chains that people were strangling each other with and whipping to mousetrap platters. Have you ever heard of a of a mousetrap platter? You know, um, broken glass. I mean, pfft. and let me just clarify something. I don't care if it's not Japan. Finish a fucking Death Rider on the wood. He tried to kill this man. All right. <laughs> this was the most off of the walls, crazy, brutal. We not stop until somebody's move. Still, somebody's not moving. Fight I have ever seen in my life. And the craziest part of it is, and I think it's the thing I enjoy the most about this match. I've never seen a hardcore match do this. Every time they pulled something out of the, from out from another ring, it was worse than the last thing. To the yeah. point where I was just like, "Stop reaching under there," because I don't want to see what else is down there. Yeah, no, this was really like they they were doing crazy stuff. The dive that uh that Omega does, what they could call it, the Terminator dive, the rise of the Terminator. Yeah, yeah the the fact that he takes out the table in that bump. You know, the sequence where Moxley is in the sharpshooter and there's broken glass on the apron and he has to literally crawl through the broken glass in order to get to the ropes. Because Moxley has said that he partially designed his character after John McCain from Die Hard. Well, congrats, you all did it because he only had to walk barefoot through the glass. This guy crawls in the sharpshooter through it. You know, and and I'm not a fan of Wars of Hardcore matches. You guys know that about me. Um, but this was this was cool. It's it's good. Then it's like they're gonna do all the time. They've already said this is probably something that's not gonna always happen, and it shouldn't. You know, but the yeah. sequence is when he shoves glass into Moxley's mouth, and then he v triggers the glass out of his mouth. What the hell? Are you kidding me? You know what and I mean? What, um, what what made this so good? Even if you're not a fan of like death matches and stuff, this was the match they needed to have after everything we've seen since moxley showed up at double or nothing they, they, it could not be anywhere less than this physical and this violent and this horrifying at points i mean for god's sake what the hell was that thing that omega had them pull out like, like th- th- this thing the easiest way i could describe it and i've seen this thing in death matches in japan before i never thought i'd see it in the fucking states it's this like structure and on top of it, it's like steel post, a steel frame, and then it's basically a spider web of barbed wire. And Mach- and after they teased it about four or five times, Moxley suplexes him off the apron, and they go through this thing. But it, and yeah, I, I but thought it, about this more it's basically, and more. It's basically a bed of barbed wire. Pr- pretty much. Like, this thing... And, and the more I think about it, like, I don't know if it would have been worse if it would have just gave completely and they hit the floor. Like, there's no good, there's no positive way for this spot to not suck any less than it was going to suck. It's just, I love, and this is one of my favorite things, and I know it wasn't meant to be a dig at WWE, but it kind of made me laugh. The ref goes, I can't even stop it. <laughs> the ref was like, I can't throw it out. Like, what am I supposed to do? Yep. And also the V-trigger threw that full gear thing that was behind them. Yeah. The freaking, like, the light structure, where, like, yeah. I think, like, um... Omega bounces head off the plastic or something like that. Was- yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> this fucking crazy. Yeah, and then finish being Moxley's paradigm shift onto the exposed ring apron. He takes the whole yeah. damn ring apron off till you see can see the wood underneath, and he hits him with the paradigm shift. Which, by the way, it's not even a dirty deeds anymore at this point. He flies practically into the sky with them and comes hammering yeah. down. You know? Like 
and the main reason I call that Death Rider is just the fact that like he elevated him. We've never seen him do that outside of Japan. Yeah, like some, like stuff. that one had malice behind it. And then right before that happened, poor Kenny Omega went for a Phoenix Splash and just smacked the wood. He <laughs> could have pinned him right there, and I'd have been like, "Yeah, that's it." Oh wait, no, he did, and fucking Omega still kicked out. And poor Renee, if you follow her on Twitter during this. Well, she tweets is WTF. Hi. Yes. Hello. I hate this. So you, know, I don't you think, married him. <laughs> I think she was. I don't know if she was prepared. I mean, even if he was to tell her the match, seeing it, it's a completely different thing, you know, because I mean, he'd just be like, yeah, you know, I'm going to do some barbed wire and that shit happens. And you're like, what the fuck is this? You know, especially her from WWE and sports and shit. So, yeah, she put WTF in big and big cat. What the fuck? Hi. Yes. Hello. I hate this. <laughs> That poor girl. <laughs> but it's so crazy to think through everything that man went through with Omega still having more fun than he's probably had in years. Like, they beat the absolute shit out of each other. Yes, they just sit, just, sit, him down for some, sit her down for some CZW. Nah, you know. And this is what I was talking about earlier when I was saying that half of the community doesn't like the funny stuff, but then the other half doesn't like this. Like, there were people, there was that one ref who's always podcasting now, and he said that they set wrestling back years. I think it was him. Or someone said that they set wrestling back years doing this match. I, I know there's been a general opinion. Them doing this match has set us back, made us look like fools, you know, and all this. I was like, I don't know about that, man. You know, well, like, do you do you feel that way, that this match set wrestling back years? Fuck no, fuck? I'm sitting there like, I'm like, they, I'm like, let's see, uh, they can't stand each other. You can't put them within the same city together or they're going to start trying to fight. Um, Maybe we just let them beat the ever-loving shit out of each other until somebody doesn't get up. But there's just this <laughs> consensus going around now where that style of wrestling is immature to the point where when you do it, you're just making us look like we haven't gotten better, like the sport hasn't gotten better. It went on the so other like, hand. So, yeah. so then my question is, where was all that during the Gargano-Champa feud? I'll wait. That didn't get as crazy as this, though. That got brutal in a different way. Yeah. Like, this was I mean, insane. Like, wait, go ahead. No, I just said this was insane. Oh, yeah. They, but then, like, like I said, I almost feel like the level of hatred that they built up between these two, you couldn't just do a regular type hardcore match. Like, you had to go to that kind of a level to really convey, like, this is how bad it got, and this is why they had to unsanction it. What I like about Lights Out matches, and this one conveyed it more... AEW only ever pulls this rabbit out of their hat when they know it's going to be so bad they have to waive all responsibility from it. I mean, we've seen there's only been, what, three guys in Lights Out matches in AEW's history. Joey Janela, John Moxley, and Kenny Omega. Like this, this match was absolutely unreal, and it stepped up the violence more and more. There was that, this, I think the last maybe four or five big spots, I was like, okay, now the match is over. Now it's over. Now it's over. They're still going? Okay, now it's over. What? They're still going? Like, it, it, it got crazier and crazier to the point where when the finish happened, I was expecting Omega to kick out again. Omega took that elevated paradigm shift. I was just like, all right, here comes the kick out. Oh, I guess that's it. Okay, fantastic. Which, by the way, Omega needs to really start winning some matches. Yeah, he, he does not. He had his win loss record is a little bit too close in AEW. I think he has the closest to like an even like amount of wins and losses I anybody right now. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, overall this was an awesome pay per view. 
Oh, yeah. A wild ending. It, it got better as the night went on. And, I mean, the fact that we're only ever going to see four pay-per-views in the whole year, it makes you look forward to the next one because you're gonna, it's going to be a long time before you see that next one. So they have a lot of time to build things up with TV. You're never going to have that burnout when it comes to pay-per-views. It's going to be like, holy crap, AEW pay-per-view coming out. It's been a minute. Mm-hmm. And uh, just an aside note about AEW. Apparently, um, as you guys know, Culture City's partnered with them, which that's um, they do sensory inclusion services, which I don't know the details of it. But basically, uh, I guess it's, uh, you know, fans that, that, that need uh, need special special needs people, I guess is the best way to put it. They Pretty provide, much like, I guess, like if you're like blind, like deaf, things like that. So. Or people who, who just get overwhelmed by sound, they provide like earmuffs or just things where you just whatever I guess you need. I don't know the details, but to accommodate whatever your special needs are to be able to enjoy this comfortably. So, you know, it's their choice to do that, whatever. But uh, the uh, Culture City people tweeted, they deleted this afterwards. So maybe the uh, AEW company told him, look, you don't want to get any heat. But unfortunately, you know, the Internet, you tweet something. It's no point in deleting it after that point. And then I grabbed that shit. So um, Lachit's grabbed it and it says, due to Royal Farms Arena not understanding the importance of sensory inclusion uh, to all fans, we have been asked to leave the arena. We are outside the arena in our mobile trailer if anyone needs you. So, um, yeah, and then it got deleted. So, I mean, like I said, you know, maybe they didn't want the arena to look bad. Maybe the arena told AEW, you know, we know you're, you're, you're ruining our name. Um, I don't know what the hell happened here, but that's just something that was reported that, I mean, it's probably not a good look, but I know a lot of places don't support it. People did try to make it clear on the internet that it was, they threw this arena under the bus. Like a lot of fans are trying to clarify that it's not AEW's fault. Yeah. So yeah, like I said, just figured I would mention that, but yeah, overall good, good, uh, very good pay-per-view from these guys. Excellent. Uh, excellent job. Yeah, like they definitely know what they're doing. They know how to put together um, a wonderful product. Yeah, and they and they leave, they know how to leave you wanting more. The the weeklies just don't build up to the pay per views. The pay per view builds up to the rest of the weeklies coming after. Everything builds up to the next thing. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I know people were asking. This is a story that's been reported about uh, AEW New Japan teaming up because I believe Jericho is going to be wrestling in New Japan soon, right? I think so. Well, um, from what we're hearing, it's just not going to ever happen, you know, so you can forget about that. Like Nick Jackson said, it's really not happening. Been asked this thousands of times and telling the truth is always best. Don't want the fans holding onto something that has zero chance of happening. Zero chance. They sound like they're never going to team with New Japan. I don't know what happened there. But um, according to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, um, they've stopped Kenny Omega from entering Japan three times since he left new japan pro wrestling like they've tried to ban him from going to japan for a decade and uh a lot of people are saying that there's a connection to this and the fact that omega and new japan aren't on good terms right now you know so you know he left there and i guess they took that shit personally and new japan you know how the country is they have their uh they have a lot of loyalty and New Japan probably has a bit of stroke, so they did something. I don't know what the details are, but to try to prevent the guy from going back. Yeah, they, they are definitely still not happy about everything that happened, that's for sure. So that might be part of why AEW saying what they're saying. Yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a shock. 
with a zero chance of them ever doing this. Things can always change, but right now, I mean, if you're trying to get a guy banned from Japan, that's some messed up shit. I wonder what he would even be going back to Japan for if he's not working there anymore, right? Yeah, like maybe he's just going just to go, but I mean, who knows? And what about how much he's contributed to that company in the time that he was there? Doesn't that count for anything? That's the part I don't understand. Like, I mean, all the memories he gave in New Japan, the fantastic matches, that unforgettable first war with Okada, like, that's not good enough for you now? Like, just because he went somewhere else? Yeah, I don't know. There's there's definitely some animosity there. Yeah, it's, I mean, hopefully it gets better eventually. But, I mean, Jesus Christ. We're going to have to see what happens with that. You know, but I'm, I don't think he's going to need to go back to Japan anytime soon to work. He's really not, honestly. Like That's the bad part. It's not like he needs to go back. Yeah, so any other thoughts on this pay-per-view? I mean, great job, as always. I, I can't wait to see the next one. Yeah, which I guess one would the next one be if we're going by uh, yearly? Oh, God. I think it's like, because it, I've never seen a company do something like this before. Like, what do you mean you've never seen it? That's what, that's what WWE used to be. What the fuck are you talking about? I mean, but like, if only four in a year? Like, <laughs> well, I mean, they had the In Your Houses, but ultimately Survivor Series... WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, and SummerSlam are the big four. So if we're going to go by that that logic, they just had their second pay-per-view around the time of Survivor Series season. So I'm going to assume the beginning of January is going to be the next big one that they have. Yeah, that sounds about right. You're probably around that time. Yeah, that's what I think, at least. But, yeah, if they keep with, if they keep with all that same schedule, definitely. But then there's the whole thing of, are people going to be willing to... uh continue to buy these pay-per-views you know what i mean they are 60 dollar pay-per-views even if it's four times a year that's way more than the wwe network subscription they're not just competing over workers they're competing competing over accessibility you know it's important that we don't forget that yeah which i mean if full gear was any proof of anything they if anything AEW showed them like hey you pay 60 dollars to watch this event we're gonna make sure it's worth every single penny we're going to make sure that at no point do you regret spending that money to, to taking time out of your day to watch this event. Yeah, you know. Which, uh-huh. I mean, there's been times where there's been WWE pay-per-views that have, popped, that have passed by. That's, they're like, you fuckers are lucky I'm paying you 10 a month. <laughs> like, I just don't I, know I if, that, like, if, if that uh, works anymore, though, you know. I don't know if that yeah. pay-per-view practice is going to be able to go very far for them. Yeah, I mean they had a they had a good first showing for sure, but I think they need to if they're gonna make it work, they have to keep up that momentum and keep up that image where it's like you're showing these people, hey, we're gonna make it worth your while. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. if they can do that, they're gonna be fine. Which I mean, if full gear was a sign of anything, you're not gonna have too much problem doing that. Yeah, no, for sure, but uh. Like I said, I just don't know. Like right now, I don't think that that's going to work out for them, you know? Yeah. Not trying to be pessimistic about it, but I just get the impression that that's going to be an uphill battle because just because of the $60. It's not even counting the fact that we're going to get into it later, but the show's numbers are dropping. But the $60 each time, you know, sometimes people might opt out and it's not even because they're a bad company, but it's because there's just so much wrestling that, uh, you know, having to pay for wrestling when there's just so much more than you can probably even consume in a week, thanks to WWE. You know, it's like if you lived in a grocery store and they didn't, and you went and spent money on another grocery store because they didn't have specifically your brands of bread and mustard. You know, even though there's there's shelves and shelves of groceries for you to pick from. 
you know like would you yeah it would be a tough call <laughs> if you're buying aw pay-per-views odds are you're already a wwe network subscriber because there's no way you're going to fork out the money for be a wrestling fan and, and be cool with the 60 dollars, but not cool with the 9.99 unless they've already driven you away with their shitty booking to the point where you've been gone and you don't watch anything and now you're coming back yeah. to this. Those are the only people that they'll still be able to get, the old school guys as well. But we have to see how the uh, the numbers do for them as far as pay-per-views going forward, as far as uh, ratings and stuff going forward because of the fact that, uh, like I said, it's a very old pay practice to charge people that way. Right. But, yeah, aside from that, I think that you do get your money's worth. Don't get me wrong. If you are buying this after purchasing the $60 pay-per-view, at the end of it, you're going to go, man, that was worth it. But the problem is that prior to doing that, that's when you're trying to convince people to uh to spend their money, you know? Yeah, that that's where they have to it's more the time in between the pay-per-views where it's gonna count a lot more because you have to sell people on that next time around. Yeah, you can't tell somebody about the afterglow before they get the pussy. <laughs> I was so tough prepared for that. Oh god. Yeah, so that's sort of uh What's happening there? And, and, and it's even worse for me because working in GameStop, I'm just familiar with the Afterglow controller, so that took a complete left turn for me. Oh, boy. Oh. Yeah, shit happens, man. But, yeah, I think that there are, you know, so far, momentum's been good, and things have been looking great for them. And we, we rarely ever open talking before we talk about the news, talking about, uh, you know, just a pay-per-view. And that's yeah, but this one today. was, this one I felt was good enough to warn it, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, man. But from what I'm hearing during during these these broadcasts, or at least during the dynamite, you know, when they have the big control room, yeah, on one of the screens they're watching NXT. You know, so, that's, so they're keeping an eye out. You think that's good or bad? Ooh, um, shit. It's it's hard to say, honestly. Like, because it depends on. If they're changing things based on what NXT is doing or they're just keeping an eye out just for the sake of keeping an eye out, like is the because we, we don't hear anything about the rewrite, the rewrites, the sudden changes or anything like that. So it almost seems like they're kind of seeing at least what the competition is still doing. But I haven't had the feel as if they're changing anything up based on what they're doing. Yeah, no, I see what you mean there. But Cody basically said that, uh, this was at StarCast 4. He said, um, basically, we just want AEW to be AEW. Um, there was NXT on in the goal position backstage the other day, and I asked for it to be turned off because that's not for us, you know? So, um, you know, I guess Cody saw it back there and he didn't want that shit on the screen anymore. I'm not calling it that shit isn't as bad, but, you know, it must have been like the attitude that he was coming from. And, yeah, uh, which I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. And they asked Tony Khan about it during the full gear media scrum. And, uh, he basically said, uh, that, uh, he, he wasn't backstage over there. You know, he just basically said that where he is, there's not like cable or anything, you know, and that he, he, you know, he can only control where he is. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense because it's like, if you're taking time to have the competition on, you're not as worried about yourself. Cause I think we've seen what like WWE, we talked about how they'll have like football or something going on in go position. And it's like, why are you worried about what something else is doing? 
Because that's yeah. taking time away from worrying about what you're doing. Which, I mean, Cody has a good attitude about going about that. It's like, dude, yeah, we're all on the same night as NXT, but outside of these walls, and inside these walls, NXT doesn't matter. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think that they should do it. Maybe look at it after, but don't even waste your time during the live performance. You can keep every screen to get your shit as tight as possible. Exactly. Um, like, worry about NXT after you go off the air. Yeah, AEW is getting a, a, a target on their back from a lot of people. And like I said before, it's a shame that this, uh, the New Japan relationship with a lot of those guys that are in AEW fell apart. Because let me tell you, making relationships with New Japan is not easy. It's something that you gotta earn. You know, and, uh, just to give you an example, the box during Starcast told a story about how there was this one time when TNA wanted Okada to bleed. Back when, remember when he was Okada and he was with, uh, he was Kato. He was with, uh, fucking Kato. <laughs> Kato with Samoa Joe. And, uh, what was it? The Pope that took him hostage or some shit? I don't remember. Yeah. Stabbed him with but a fake anyway, knife and everything. Yeah. Was- during that era, he, they wanted him to bleed and he wasn't comfortable about it. And, uh, Nick and Matt came up. He came up to Nick and Matt and he told them, Hey, these guys want me to cut my forehead. And they were like, what? And, uh, he wasn't even being booked. So, um, they went to bat for him and they helped him get out of that situation. And, uh, the Bucks feel like a lot of that, um, helped them, you know, because the fact that they, that they helped him out when he was in that situation, it paid off for them later on. If you know what I mean, which is pretty much what they said. Those are their words. So, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, they said they became really good friends with this guy, you know, like, you know, they would, they would eat with him every day. You know, and uh, they would put young, he would put Young Bucks gear on and he would surprise them all the time and do funny things. Matt Jackson said he would look at his cell phone and find selfies of Okada because he found his phone unlocked. And, uh, you know, they were just goofy and he became really tight with this dude from the time in TNA where they told him, hey, man, you know, these guys want me to blade and I'm not comfortable. And the Bucks told, you know, this guy don't want to fucking blade. Don't make him blade. You know, so that probably... Since they even said it themselves, that probably has a lot to do with it. And then, you know, Okada goes back to New Japan. These guys want to do a loop with New Japan. And he goes, they're good guys. You know, let them have an opportunity. You know, and it, it, like I said, that's part of what opened the door for the American stuff to start happening. Or at least some of the American stuff. Not all because there were obviously already things going on, Balor and everything. And even going back years, they've always had that. But, you know, it definitely helped. And it's just unfortunate to see these bridges are all destroyed now. Yeah, yeah, so it's sad. You know, but they do feel betrayed. You know, there's nothing that we can do about that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you can't help when, like, some of your biggest names basically go somewhere else. It's like you can't help but be a little bit hurt. Mm-hmm. But hopefully everything gets better somewhere down the line. I mean, I, I would love to see some kind of a crossover where you get, like, an Okada showing up in uh, AEW. You get Moxley going back in Japan again. Just other things like that it would just be great. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, we're going to move on from that first show that we talked about. We're going to talk about some numbers. How much time have we used on that damn paper? Or tape paper? You look at we're two hours in. Jesus Christ. Holy shit. <laughs> it was that good. <laughs> and uh, let's talk about some numbers. You know, there's a lot of numbers here um, of everything. We always talk about the numbers now. Yeah, so, it's not just rumble season. No, it's all about the numbers all year long. So according to Showbuzz Daily... AEW brought in 822,000 viewers. NXT brought in 813,000. Look at how close it is compared to before. Yeah, the gap's starting to close. 
It's starting to close, dude. Look at this. Practically a tie. Yeah. AEW numbers are dropping. NXT numbers, I wouldn't even say they're rising. They're just staying steady. But the other numbers are rapidly dropping. You know? Yeah. Definitely the Survivor Series stuff going on is definitely helping NXT. It's definitely not hurting them whatsoever. But the fact that the AEW, AEW numbers are starting to drop, got to kind of lean back on the throttle a little bit, gentlemen. Like we, Yeah, we're also hearing, according to Meltzer, 3,600 fans were in Charlotte for the last episode of Dynamite. And they had to tarp off a lot of the seats, you know. Every, every seat um, on the hard camera side was pretty much tarped off. And, uh, you know, so you're starting to see the live numbers of AEW drop. I've seen this shit before, you know, and I've said that about other companies. But, um, you know, I've seen that before. So that's unfortunate. And then on the other hand, SmackDown, somehow, despite the fact that SmackDown was in the UK and it was in the can and not live, um, according to Showbuzz, they said they brought in 2.725 million viewers for the first hour and 2.510 in the second which is an average of 2.675 million viewers, up from last week's 2.543 million viewers. So. A little bit of come up, not bad. Yeah. Especially and, for a canned episode, too. Like. Yeah, so there you have it there, where uh, I guess maybe because it was a UK special, I don't know exactly what the hell happened. But also last week's Raw, obviously we can't do this week because it just went off the air. But last week's Raw brought in 2.35 million viewers. And uh, they were pretty much up from last week's 2.133 million. You know, 2.135. So, slightly up. So, every show every, every show was up for WWE this week. AEW show was not up. But at the same time, it's not all good news there. Because according to Brad Shepard, they had to cancel this event that they were doing. That was supposed to be taped on the 17th. Remember we said they're going to be getting Christmas back because Raw's going to be taped. Raw was going to be taped on the 17th. And, uh, this was going to be in Iowa. And, uh, this was going to be the episode that aired on the 23rd. But according to Brad Shepard, they sold less than a thousand tickets for the December 17th Raw. So they just said, okay, we won't do a Raw that day. And, uh, instead they're going to tape a Raw December 16th. After the live Raw. So the people who go to the Raw December 16th, they're going to get two Raws on a row. Because right when it ends, they're going to do a taping of that one. Since I guess that arena will already still be full. And uh, because that show's selling really well. But so the talent will still get their break on the 21st to the 25th. They just won't be taping on the 17th. They're just going to double down on a Raw they already know has better people buying the tickets than the one that sold less than a thousand. It's crazy that we're even in a world. Where there can be a raw that sold less than a thousand that has to be canceled, right? Like you said that, I was like, I, you said that I was waiting for you to say like a NXT or two hundred five something like that. Yes, they just say that too. Six hours of raw, Jesus. Yeah, you see what I mean. This is once again like you know, people getting getting beat with a penis over the forehead because so now the the fucking people who watch raw or or like us that tolerate raw. Let's say that that was in our town. I don't even know what's happening but let's just say that it was some shit like that happened in our town like now we'd have to sit like can you imagine like at 11 o'clock now raw starting and you just finished watching raw oh my god i i oh so those people and then you know what that crowd's gonna be i can't wait to see the christmas edition of raw like that crowd's gonna be dead by that point 
not only because they've already been there for three hours, but because they were there for three shitty hours. You know, so they're going to have to make this good. They're going to have to present it like a pay-per-view for those people, because it's not even like six hours is awful when you look at big pay-per-views. But you have to make it a good six hours. It can't feel like two shitty Raws in a row, you know, so because that's probably the reason why you have people that didn't even want to come to one row in Iowa. In Iowa. (laughs) There used to be a point where the commentators were told not to say the town where, you know, when the show starts and like, we are coming to you live from Brooklyn, New York. They were told when you're in those small time places, don't say it. You don't want to sound like we're small time. And now it's like the small time places don't even give enough of a fuck about them. <laughs> Pretty okay, soon they're gonna have to be like, we're me. live in Iowa, in Nebraska, in Which Arkansas. Don't say my name. <laughs> <laughs> like now they're the small time, you know? Well, they're nice small time, man. Yeah, and the and the bad news doesn't end there because according to PW Insider, that show that they do WWE backstage, remember that show? They did forty nine, forty nine thousand viewers. Ooh. Yeah. So, uh, the the last episode. Oh, just to put it into perspective, I'm reading these numbers. It's crazy. The last episode did four hundred and twenty six thousand viewers, and this episode did fifty thousand. They lost almost 400,000 viewers, almost four fucking hundred thousand viewers on that backstage show. And you know what? I see that on all the time, but who's going to want to watch that? It's just, yeah. a, you know, like just a backstage show. You know, that doesn't make any sense. The good backstage show we had was after SmackDown and they got rid of that. Exactly. Like, you can't replace that. I don't care if you got that. You try to bring us on to another thing. So basically, they're saying that the reason is because previous episodes of backstage had good lead ins because they were having game three of the ALCS. Um, episode of Friday Night Smackdown, you know, but, um, yeah, so I don't know. So it, it just doesn't really even make any sense. Not in the least. And it's on 11 p.m. on a Tuesday. That's practically with no lead in. You know what I mean? Are you kidding me? You're having a post show to WWE on 11 p.m. on a Tuesday. The only fucking day that you guys don't have wrestling on, people are supposed to go to a post show at 11 at night that nothing came before. <laughs> This on FS1? Who's fucking fuck idea was this? How you fuck me with no four play? Like, what the fuck? No, the one day that everyone's like, okay, no wrestling today. All right, you 11 know? o'clock backstage. Let's go. What? No. Yeah, the, yo, I just saw Squire's image. Oh, my God. Is that the graphic for tonight? It has to be. I can't even yes, believe it. Yes, 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 yes. That awesome. <laughs> oh, I saw it like an hour ago. I just had to mute the laugh. <laughs> That's fucking magical. Oh, my God. Yeah, but now, so you see what I mean? These are just bad business decisions. Hey, you know what would be good that I think wrestling fans would like on a Tuesday where they know there's no wrestling from any brand to go to FS1 at 11 at night to hear them talk about wrestling? That happened 24 hours ago. Like, no. I wonder why you only got 50,000 people. I'm amazed you had 50,000 people to do that. You know, so I, I, bet, I, bet, no- I bet a lot of those people that just left that channel on. I, I literally have not watched a single episode of that. Like, I can't do it. No, and this time it's been coming on when, like, after SmackDown and 205 is on. It's like, I'm supposed to watch 205, not this shit. There's still live action going on in the ring. There's still wrestling. Like, what do you mean? Yeah, so, cut that out. Maybe, maybe it's the people in goal position watching it. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. Yeah, right? That's what it's for. They're still there, even on Tuesday. Yeah, they're still sitting there. They're waiting. Yeah, Absolutely. So, uh, any other stuff going on in that in that world? I mean, numbers. That's it for numbers, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, uh, see, we gotta, gotta see how next week turns out. 
let's talk a little bit about uh i guess uh i guess we got to talk about the fucking saudi arabia thing i want to get that out of the way yeah so one of the things that we talk about i said take everything with a grain of salt you know i've always told you guys that i just we're just reading from the sheets like everyone else whether we believe it or not is up for speculation and the only time i state things is when it's fact if it's just speculation i usually say the speculation of or the rumors or the conflicting stories so you got Seth Rollins now who's angry at Dave Meltzer. Because you guys know Dave Meltzer does most of the sheets. Most of it comes from Wrestling Observer. And uh remember we said that Rollins was a locker room leader giving the speech after everybody got back before Raw? Yeah. Well, apparently that's bullshit. According to Rollins, he says, Dave, my problem is that you're spreading complete lies. I gave no speech. I said nothing before, during, or after the meeting. So either you got you or your source is full of it. Either way, it's bullface lie. And I kindly ask you to stop pushing it. And you know Rollins. He's now a guy who, when he's on the internet, he's already, already angry. So now you give him a reason to be angry. You won't like him when he's angry. And, uh, you know, Fightful um, basically spoke to Seth Rollins. And he's quoted as saying that Vince and Triple H held an all-talent meeting to explain the travel situation returning from Crown Jewel. And they commended the talent for their conduct in a tough spot and fielded questions and allowed anyone to voice their feelings on the matter. And that some talent spoke up and overall it was a productive forum. And he said zero words. He made no speech. Pretty simple. So, he, like I said, the guy is very adamant that that is what's going on. You know? And according to Malsan Wrestling Observer, he said that they asked for questions if anybody had questions and nobody had questions and that Orton sort of had something. He basically tried to make a joke and Rusev actually did say something, but he didn't ask questions. Um, Seth talked, according to Meltzer, Seth talked, but, but Meltzer guessed that Seth's really mad at him over that. I guess that that being to expose it, which I don't know, you know, at this point, who's telling the truth. But, uh. Rollins went on to say, and lastly, Meltzer, you're, you're, you're at best a purvoyer of misinformation or at worst an outright vindictive liar. I hope it's the former. Hashtag rah rah. So, <laughs> yeah. Did that motherfucker just hashtag rah rah? That, that he did. Come on, dog. What you- <laughs> so thanks to this situation, there's just the credibility of dirt sheets being put into question, which there's always been that. And I've always told you guys that a lot of the, the Meltzer stuff, not all of it, but a lot of the Meltzer stuff, you got to take with a grain of salt. And I've said before that a lot of his stories, and I've given examples, and there's nothing wrong with this. It's not so much him having an inside source, but it's him putting together facts and making an objective fucking answer. You know what I mean? Like just common sense stuff. So uh, I always say take his stuff with a bit of a grain of salt. There's literally no reason not to. At the end of the day, it, now thanks to social media, the truth will always come out because wrestlers will say some some things in interviews and shoot interviews and passing conversations and tweets without even realizing it sometimes, without even consciously, consciously doing it sometimes, and sometimes intentional. They will allude and say things that will sort of expose past shit that happened. We've experienced it. We've experienced wrestlers saying things in tweets where we'll go, oh, since he said that, that must mean that the thing we heard was real. Or in interviews. That's when you know what's fact and what isn't. And that's the reason why we go into the things that the wrestlers say on here. You know, not many shows do that shit where it's like, that's the emphasis, not what the sheets are saying, but we have to pull up what the wrestlers are saying because that's where you're going to find a lot of the truth. Pro, um, Samoa Joe recently released a statement where he said, dearest colleagues, at some point you realize most quote unquote sources in our industry have an agenda and are expressing it through how much of the truth they can mix in with their conjecture. 
So while they are passive aggressively playing everyone, don't get caught up and play yourself. So, you know, there's a hostility towards reporting on the dirt sheets and anything involving the news right now because of the fact that, I mean, a few things, you know, the Saudi Arabia thing got blown out of proportion, whether it did or not, because of course there's going to be people who believe that, uh, all that should happen, whether it did or not, it doesn't change the fact that, uh, you know, the people in the business, the WWE themselves don't appreciate this being exposed or bullshitted one way or another. They don't like the fact that this is the information that's being thrown out there, you know? So, um, yeah, it's a pretty rough situation when it comes to the Saudi Arabia stuff. That being said, there's new facts that have come up about the Saudi Arabia stuff. Um, you know, again, I don't do this. I, I don't go through our program ahead of time. So I'm going to be looking through this as I give you guys the information, but, uh, PW insiders, Mike Johnson, said that someone texted him and said that they were back in the hotel. This is back when they were in Saudi Arabia and that they're not happy that they got separated, but that they gave them all sweets and that they can have whatever they want and they have access to the gym and they're going to be leaving tomorrow, but they won't be able to make it to SmackDown. So they were treated well when they were out there. This is at least what the reports are being said here. And when it comes to Vince McMahon, last week there were, it was reported that he peaced out on everybody. He just got on the first plane and, and got out of there. Um, but at the end of the day, they're saying that, uh, that's the way that Vince is. Like, you know, like he always leaves from, from places like that, you know, that he didn't leave everybody in Saudi Arabia, you know, and that if you work here, you know, that no matter what, um, uh, basically Vince gets on his jet and he goes, he goes to the next city because he's running the company, you know? So it's like what he did apparently is the normal behavior of what Vince McMahon would normally do in any other situation. And according to Wrestling Observer, they were saying, yes, he was out of the country as quickly as possible. People in WWE said that he was already out of the country before any of the mechanical issues of traveling even started. They said that with the flight records, it shows that McMahon left at about 1240 in the morning local time. And that's two hours before the flight that never took off was even boarded. So this wasn't a case of him realizing something was going to go down and then he was going to just leave. This was pretty much just the way that it happened. And he always leaves the way that he does because he's getting ready at the next city. He's probably with the crew that sets everything up. At the end of the day, when the yeah. wrestlers arrive, they need something to arrive to, right? You see the trucks with the logos and shit there and the backstage and everything. You know what I mean? That has to all be put together. It doesn't just materialize. So they have to beat the, the actual workers there. No? no. Pretty much. Like, it's easy to say that all oh, Vince saw shit get go down and then dipped. It's hard to think, oh, maybe Vince is getting ready for the next place because that's not shitting on Vince McMahon. Yeah. So, um, you know. At the end of the day, they you guys know that they already added a new yearly event on top of the one that they already get. So the relationship is good. Um, they already paid um, WWE all of the money up through 2020 ahead of time. They already have all of the money. So they have all the money from the events that they were owed, plus the events that are coming forward in the next year. So there's no reason for us to worry about if there's money issues or anything, because now they paid everything in advance. They paid it forward, you know? And uh, as strange as it may sound, we also spoke about how Vince McMahon got pissed and cut the feed because they owed him money. But Meltzer noted that Vince has said that uh, the reason the TV show didn't air was because of a technical issue. And he said that uh, it aired about 45 minute delay and that Vince told the talent that that was a decision made by Saudi Arabia to delay it by 40 minutes. We don't know why. But they wanted the event to air delayed 40 minutes. This doesn't mean anyone missed anything. This means that the event started late. They still get the beginning of it. But there was a 40 minute delay and it wasn't Vince. 
The Saudi Arabian government, for some reason, wanted there to be a delay. What the hell could the delay have been for? Who knows? A number of things. Maybe they were really, really, really anal about this women's match that was going on. And maybe as a result of that, they hadn't decided yet if they were going to air it. So they wanted to have a 40-minute grace period to be able to do some fancy editing. I have no idea. But it was apparently coming from them. Again, I like to update you guys on the stories that we talk about, you know? And like Stacey said, in case of female... I guess nip slips, you know, wardrobe malfunctions, if you will, you know, because if that happened over there, that would be the end of the world. Like, can you imagine, like, if there was a titty over there? They, I, I, I imagine that a black hole would open up in the fucking arena, oh and like God. a wizard with like a fucking staff would come out and be like, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be fifth impact. It would, it would look like a uh, when the dead zone opened up in the first Dragon Ball Z movie. Stop. <laughs> All of a sudden, everybody's holding on to the back of their seats and shit. You see fucking crown jewel steel chairs flying in the air. In the, air. the whole set just fucking lifts off and gone. So oh this God, is for them. So they they wanted the to titty off. Ooh. Yeah, they would cut the titty and the head off. Like this, would be like the, this would be like the Red Wedding. You would see like a wolf with a titty head. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck they do. What oh, God, the where am I going with this? With I, I better stick to the fucking program, right? Exactly. <laughs> What am you, I doing? You, I, I refuse to go down the wolf with a titty head rabbit hole, all right? They're lucky that we don't want to have that as a name. Wolf with the titty head. Oh. <laughs> Tell you, man, titty Arabia. The king of the tit. Oh, no. Stop. <laughs> but anyway, they oh. wanted the 40-minute delay. Like I said, I like to follow up on these stories. A lot of places won't follow the shit up. It's like, so we can clarify all of the stuff that we've heard now that there's been some clarification. We also talked about Carl Anderson saying how he's interested to see who the backstage locker room leader is going to be now. You know, sort of joking about the fact that I guess the locker room leaders got out of there sooner. They said that during this meeting, Triple H called out Carl Anderson, you know, and he didn't. They're basically reporting that he didn't really have much of anything to say in response. So, uh, you know, I don't know if it was a joking situation. I'm assuming that it was. But yeah, yeah I don't know. At least, at least that's what we want to speculate. And uh, yeah, from what we're hearing, there's at least going to be, at least the Wrestling Observer thinks that there's going to be one match, one woman's match at every show going forward, you know. And uh, there was also the speculation, remember, about the private, the private charter when the, when the plane got grounded and they were like superstars that really wanted it, paid for their own flight and everything. Yeah. Well, it's confirmed that WWE paid for that flight. They didn't put their money together because they felt so strongly about missing SmackDown like WWE reported, which it still goes to show that even in a situation like this, if everything else is true, that there wasn't any other problems, that they still have their conniving ways just to put people over. Even in the kayfabe situation, they want to put people over. These are the superstars that cared enough to get on a plane and pay with their own money. Well, they paid with their own money, you know, so that's so now that's now you know exactly what happened there. During this entire incident, one of the things that raised a lot of eyebrows was when Rusev said, at this point, we need prayers, brother. And he had, he was interviewed by the son. And he said that we were all ready to get out and we couldn't. The frustration just grew by each hour. And me asking for prayers is nothing new. My father is a pastor. I'm a believer in God. Jesus Christ, our Savior. So I always ask for prayers just because I wanted to go home, not because we were held hostage. I don't think anyone in their rightful mind is going to hold 170 people, American citizens, hostage. I don't think that'll reflect well anywhere. So, Russo, I didn't know his father was a pastor. You see how shit makes more sense, though? You go, oh. Yeah. You know? And uh, he also said, I make a lot of money. I'll definitely go back. 
I love it. I love every single trip that we do there. I love how we break barriers with women wrestling there and Lana being able to go. I think it's a great victory for the company and not just for that, but to open new doors and new opportunities to develop further. It's just amazing. It's a great opportunity for us to be ambassadors for entertainers. So it doesn't sound like a guy who, uh, you know, he just wanted prayers to go home, you know? He probably yeah, just wanted to. Much. He probably just wanted to play the new Call of Duty or All the Worlds like everybody else. He's a gamer, right? There you go. Yeah, yeah, he doing it. He was praying for All the Worlds. You know? He's like, man, I was, about to, I was about to hit gold charging. Like, what you doing? Like, yeah, and instead, I have to be here. That's definitely a possibility of what happened. I don't know. You know, there's a million and one things that it could have been. Exactly. But you see what I mean? Things were, were blown a bit out of proportion, assuming that this isn't the world's greatest cover up and they were just able to clean everything. But a lot of the stuff that they're saying makes sense. But then there's the questions of even stuff like what AJ Styles said, where um, there was a truck put in front of the plane's runaway and the guy came went home and he found that kind of weird. And we never heard that anywhere else from anyone else. You know, only people who followed him on Mixer and whatever for that live session heard that. And it's like it's weird that no one else mentioned that. It's strange that WWE went out of their way to act superstars. If they did ask them to get pictures of the mechanical issues or or to say on their phones that it's mechanical issues. Um Anderson's wife saying, you know, we don't want him to go somewhere where our husband was held hostage. That's also a very interesting way to put things, you know. So uh, I don't know. I don't think that it was that. At some point, if there was any more, it would come out, you know. Right. The, the beauty of WWE is that they don't keep everyone forever and you're not bound to them forever. So if people do leave or retire and they're not signed to them, then one day in a shoot, they're going to they're going to clarify what happened. Just like the old plane ride. Remember the plane ride from hell? Oh, okay. how could I forget? And I'm not saying that this is all going to be accurate, but when I first heard the plane ride from hell, I almost couldn't believe it. It was like, nah, in the future, there's no way. Are you shitting me right now? Like, you know, anyone who's not familiar with it, we heard that like people like, like Dustin Rhodes got, got drunk and he, he got on the, on the mic, on the microphone, whatever they call the, my brain's farting on the, the intercom, you know, I think. the intercom on the airplane, right? And he started trying to sing a love song to Terry Reynolds to get her back. And in the meantime, you had a, According to X-Pac, Michael Hayes, who was so drunk that he he was trying, he almost pissed on Linda. He was getting up and like wobbling around her going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like maybe he thought she was a fucking urinal. That's how drunk he was. X-Pac okay. also at one point, didn't he say that he cut the back of Michael Hayes' ponytail? Like when he was sitting there, his ponytail was going back because he cut it and held it up in the air. Mr. Perfect yeah, and Brock Lesnar wound up wrestling on the aisle and they almost fucking flew out of the plane. And, you know, <laughs> in, the, in the meantime, we're hearing Scott Hall's quietly in the front of the fucking plane. Not doing anything. It, it was a crazy thing. And when I remember the irony like, of that is that Scott Hall's in the front doing nothing. <laughs> and I just remember thinking to myself, this is is this fucking real? Like that this this sounds like something that you would hear. Like it almost would make a good wallpaper if you could get like a shot of all this happening at the same time, like Golda singing a Terry Reynolds with fucking Brock Lesnar tussling around with Mr. Perfect in the back, and you know, Michael Hayes trying to piss on Linda while Xbox sneaking behind him with the scissors and shit. It's like seriously? So it's not hard for me to believe. It's not like this is the first time I've heard of plane rides that sounded like bullshit. That when people finally left the company, they talked about it. And some of the shit didn't even come out that we heard. So I'm not saying that's going to happen here. I'm just saying, you know, they're saying it didn't happen. Sure. No problem, man. But uh, don't rule it out either. Pretty much. But uh, getting back a little bit to AEW, these guys did a video, man. The beginning of being. Oh my god! I saw this this morning. You saw what they did with the plane ride? I fucking cried. I'm gonna let you guys see this shit, man. (laughs) Day, you know what? I got a shout out. I got a shout out. Rock and Roll Express, the original Young Bucks. 
got it. Uh, it was pretty rotten what happened last week on Dynamite with, with Robert, especially with Ricky. Ricky, I uh, just spoke to actually, uh, and he's doing well, and they're going to be at full gear at the pay per view. So I'm so happy to hear that. That's not the only thing that's rotten. You're just not going to address the elephant in the room. I know I'm not wearing this shirt. It's okay. I'm talking Big about deal. this hostage situation. Are you kidding me? Wait, 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 hang on. This hostage situation? Yeah. You mean this? The one we're in right now. This little delay that yes. we have at the airport? This lawless desert we're stuck in. We're in Dallas, it, Texas. They're, they're, yeah. I might not be able to see my kids ever again. Are you kidding me? We're home on Monday. We just saw them eight hours ago. Right? I don't know about you, but I'm scared to death. They're saying it could be up to one hour to 24 hours. We're stuck here, so I'm pretty sure we're boarding like right now. God, I sure hope so. Well, you're gonna say due to mechanical issues, this flight has been delayed. (laughs) Please refrain from listening to all the dirt sheets. They are the purveyor of misinformation. Vindictive liars. And vindictive liars. Sorry. Alright, we better make this flight. Yeah, we better get going. Let's go. Crap, that was great! Oh, God. <laughs> they were held in Texas. So fucked up, but it was funny. Yeah, but uh, I don't know, man. Fucking crazy. That's the way people are reacting towards that kind of shit, you know? Do, what's your opinion? Do you think too much was made of this? Do you think the truth is somewhere in the middle, or do you think that the dirt sheets are full of shit? Um, so I think definitely there was something odd about everything AJ said uh, on Mixer, but at the same time. A lot of people, let's be real, we, we've seen it a thousand times, we've seen it on this show, that some people just have this instant negative vibe with a, with a Crown Jewel show to the point where some people don't watch it thinking they're making a difference. Right. So there's people out there who will take one little piece of information and then just run all over the place with it. I think something happened. I think something was odd, but I don't know if it was as bad as a lot of people are trying to make it out to be. And that but WWE then telling people, oh, do this and do that doesn't help it as well. Assuming that even that part's true at this point, the, the truth is so obscured in, in different stories that uh, it's hard to even say, you know, exactly. So, you know, who really knows at this point what the hell they're going to be doing, you know, but uh. Yeah, in other news with WWE, it's been speculated that, uh, and also as a result of the, uh, the ratings sort of now meeting where it's almost looking like next week is possible that NXT will overcome AEW. There might not be as much of a freeze on firing people anymore. WWE is probably not perceiving AEW as large of a threat as it did when the ratings were, when they were getting their asses kicked as bad as they were and they're worried about letting people go. So they might undo that. Which is good for in the case of people like uh, Luke Harper and Sankara, who has now recently asked for his release. Because Sankara is not happy. That might be why they jobbed him out. Yeah. You know? But and that um, girl wasn't there tonight either. Yeah, well, we're hearing that she was in developmental and they just brought her up because they wanted somebody for Zelina Vega to work with. But she's already gone. They just wanted to do that one and done back to developmental with you. So you're not going to be seeing her anymore. And now they don't give a fuck about Sankara. Maybe that's why he asked for his release. Maybe he thought that that Katarina shit was going to be a push of some sort. 
And then they yeah. just sent her back and were like, now you're back to job. And he was like, let me get the I mean, I mean they, they, they had a pose in the ring together. Like, that's kind of a sign of like, hey, we're going to do something with this. Yeah, but after he released that statement, um, basically one of the reasons why he did this, we're, we're hearing that he was interested in joining Alberto Del Rio's Combates America, which is basically an MMA uh, federation that Alberto Del Rio owns. And so that might be one of the reasons he wanted his release. After he stated this publicly, he wanted, wanted his release, they pulled him from the road. So right after the, you saw him tonight, which that was taped by the way, so a few days ago, they pulled him off the road and they sent him back to El Paso, um, instead of Boston, you know where where Ross gonna be once they get back. So they just told him go home. They didn't release him from shit. He's just not on the road with anybody anymore. So that's pretty much what happens if you publicly ask for your release. You know we've seen it time and time again that nothing positive comes of this. Exactly. You know? So I'm not saying that I'm justifying it in any case. Um. But it is exactly what it looks like it is, you know? Yeah, ain't, ain't no real ways about it. But then I kind of look at it at the same time. If they start releasing people like the Luke Harpers and the Sankara, what happens if they pop up in AEW? That might want to turn around and backfire in them. Because, I mean, you turn Harper loose in AEW, like that's going to be incredible for him. And we've seen me, what he can do by themselves when they just let him go. And to me, that's the hope of AEW gaining momentum. Is WWE says, all right, their ratings aren't really that good. I think we can, you know, sort of ease up our grip on the people we don't want to keep. And then if they do wind up there and it does change the ratings around, you know? Yeah. It would, because, it would definitely help AEW huge to draw some of those, uh, those well known names. Word of mouth is also something that you got to factor in too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, people are still learning about AEW. I wouldn't rule them out. I'm just saying that they're up against a company that uh, has two mainstream shows that they can use to promote the one show that AEW is going to war with. And unfortunately, that's what's happening here. You know, they literally using Raw and SmackDown, two known shows. Now, now, now SmackDown on Fox is on the one of the most known networks in the world. And what did they do? They had NXT guys show up there and attack them, making it where people who are invested in the mainstream WWE stuff now have to watch on Wednesdays to see what's going to happen with this attack. And although they're doing it for Survivor Series, and I remember you asking in the chat room what happens when Survivor Series is over. Listen, if this works and they start beating AEW, you think that they're going to be in WWE be like, well, we can't do this anymore. It's only, it's not Survivor Series season. Shit, man, I can't wait till next November. No. We'll just make another storyline where the NXT guys and the WWE guys cross over because it's all their fucking company. They could do whatever the hell they want. They've proven that time and time again. If for some reason the cause of, of NXT's ratings now being close to AEW's ratings is because they keep crossing over the big star talent to NXT, why the fuck would that stop? Because the fans are going to go, you guys shouldn't be doing that unless that's Survivor Series. Yeah, so we'll forsake our ratings and our money because of the continuity here. Yeah, where are they ever going to fuck about continuity? <laughs> But then again, it also poses the common question that's become with this company, how long until they fuck with it too much? Like, there's a lot of factors that are going into this whole thing, which is like the one like one wrong mistake could turn the tide massively in either direction. It's a delicate balance, and you hit the nail on the head as to why it's a delicate balance right there. Because when we talked about this, when we first found out NXT was going to UFA... What happens if they fuck with it too much? You know what I mean? What happens if they dilute the product like they did with ECW to the point where NXT stops feeling like NXT? And then that's what that watered down NXT is what's going up against AEW. 
Yeah. Because what, what happens guys. until we, we go from NXT to Red Fiend Light? Like, <laughs> we've seen that we've already seen a case of something that was perfectly great and working well, and then they fucked with it and messed it up. See, but the thing is, I never thought for a minute that that would be, I've said in this for the last few weeks, that I think now's the worst time ever for them to decide. It's so weird. Oh, now you are stuck on the brand you are. There'll be no more crossover whatsoever. Everyone's going to be relegated to the brand there. And this is it. You'll never, ever see each other again. You guys decided that shit all year. It's been like this. And you decided that shit during Survivor Series season. Really? When everyone usually crosses over during one of the big four pay-per-views, we have big team matches. And when you decided it while you're going to war with another fucking company, don't you think you should have all hands on deck and have like this big unified roster where anyone can show up from any brands? Is your war? Come on. Do something, yeah, man. It's a- we, we're in a good spot here. Don't get me wrong. WWE's in a great spot. Like Stacey just said in the chat, they could do invasions. I love invasions, you know? Make Seth turn like Stone Cold in the invasion. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, that would be massive. They already said, put the pieces there, right? Where, um, yeah, they, 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 they've laid out the groundwork for it to happen. Yeah, it's just a matter too, of, are they going to screw it up in the process? Because we've seen of a commodity, history, things being a great idea, and then it's just like, okay, now we're going to WWE all over it. Like, He's too big of a commodity for that, though. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to see what happens there. So, in other news, and I'm going to bring this picture up on screen here. You see this picture? Ta-da! What, am I, what are you looking at? Do you know what you're looking at, Destin? I see definitely Jericho, and I'm trying to think who that is. That is the CEO of Instagram. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said that. That is Donald Trump Jr., Oh, that's baby Trump. Look at him. There's a picture that Jericho took with Donald Trump Jr. Um, and it was funny because a lot of fans and a lot of stupid marks got mad at Jericho. And I was like, oh, how could Jericho do this? You know, this changed everything that I thought of Jericho. Uh, this changed my feelings about who he is and what he stands for. He's a childhood hero. And now he's posing with a villain and all. It's like, yo, how about you all take a cup of shut the fuck up already with this nonsense? You insane people. You, you fucking nuts. Anyone who has had that reaction towards a photo like this, I'm really grateful that you're not in my lives, you know, because it's, it's terrible to, to freak out. And I've seen the whole internet just fucking bugging out about the fact that Jericho took a picture with Donald Trump Jr., which like Stacey pointed out, they probably, they probably knew each other for years. And also, yeah. you're going to completely not associate yourself with someone because of their political affiliation. It's fucked up. This is the reason you don't do politics or religion with people. Everyone's going to have their own beliefs and their own systems. And I can't stand the people that are disgusting enough to, uh, to judge somebody based on simple shit like that. And to me, with politics being as complicated as they are, you have to be a special kind of simple minded fuck for your opinion of someone to all be able to be summarized and boiled down to a singular fucking photo that they took with somebody. You fucking simple minded fucks. You know, you don't know the circumstances of the photo. You don't know if him and Jericho are friends. You know, Stacey is saying they've probably known each other for years. I would take it even the other way. Maybe they didn't know each other at all. And Jericho was being civil because he's a public fucking figure and the other guy's a public fucking figure. So civilly, if somebody asks you for a picture, what are you going to say? No, you're going to be like, fuck you. Nail on the head. If that's the case, why are you watching WWE? Because Trump's in their Hall of Fame. Yeah. So it it, it was like it was like another segue. um, Uh 
I was going to say, not to segue too far, it was kind of the thing like uh, UFC 244 that passed. People were bitching because Dana White's there. Here's a little newsflash, fuckers. Unlike you, Donald Trump actually helped the UFC early in the day, so he and Dana White have been friends for a long time. Yeah, God forbid he's exactly. friends with somebody who matters a lot more than you do. <laughs> so stop being assholes. And then Jericho, he had to tweet out and he put, come down. I'm nonpartisan, which basically means calm down. I, I, I'm not on anybody's side, more or less. He doesn't right. agree. He, he does. He's not on either side. You know what, man? People don't believe it about me, but I'm the exact same way as Jericho. I'm not on any side politically. But and that's where the but is. Unfortunately, it has to be a but here. I can't help, and I know I'll get heat for this, but I can't help but look at the stuff happening on the left and it annoyed the shit out of me. I can give you an example. This, people overreacting over simple shit when there's a lot of things going on. They're trying to summarize a human being by a photo he took. Now Jericho's not my hero anymore because he took a photo with Donald Trump. Do you have any idea how insane that sounds? Can you believe that we live in a world where people are able to spread that shit around like the legs of a whore and no one calls them fucking nuts for having that strange of a reaction to a picture where Jericho represents a company? And let's just say Donald Trump Jr. wanted the photo with fucking Jericho. So what's he going to do? No, not you, you right-wing bastard. And then now all of the right-wing AEW people are officially alienated because there are right-wingers out there, whether you want to believe it or not. They're alienated. They don't want to watch AEW because now they know that Jericho's left, which is not their, their, their thing. It's better to stay neutral, especially when you're a famous person. He has a band. You know, he's part of a company. He, he, he's his own investment. What the fuck's wrong with him taking this? It's like, to me, that's so strange that people like, acted that way. They're, 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 here's, here's the part they're really going to hate. Did you ever think maybe just like you, he's a fan of Jericho? <sighs> maybe he is, you know, but it's just it's just it just disgusts me that this is the world that we live in now. People just like it, 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 I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm not on either side. But I get more aggravated than shit I see on the left than the right. It's yeah. not even a having one side or the other. It's just one side irritates me less. Maybe it was different when we were younger because I remember when I was younger, I always felt like the Democratic Party were the heroes and the good guys and the evil Republican, or at least that's the way it was portrayed. And maybe we just became old enough to be smart enough to see that that's not the way that it is. And again, this is me being neutral, but there are times I see shit from Democrats and left sides where it, it, it almost feels like a cult. Where I'm like, wow, these were the... These are good guys right now because you guys do some crazy shit. And it, and even if your views are right, and I've said this on here before, even if you're correct about everything, when you have that, when you're on Twitter and you're going nuts and you're being a lunatic, it just makes your side look more crazy. It's like ACH did. And I hate to say it, but even if he was right about the racism, the way that he fucking acted turned the community, the IWC against him. It went from, yeah, you know, black power to shut the fuck up. Exactly. You know, because I mean, it's like that's not the way to go about it. And Booker T said it his best last week when he said, you know, that's not I don't handle my shit on social media. Exactly. And when you look at it at the end of the day, okay, so you're gonna not like Jericho just because he took a picture with somebody who could be his friend. Here's the realistic. Here's the part you're not gonna like and you're probably not gonna accept it. Neither of those two in that picture give a shit because their life, unlike your life, it moves on regardless. Exactly. You know, so like Jer- Jericho took that picture, not giving a fuck what anybody was going to think. It was like, hey, photo op. Fuck it. Let's do it. It's not even Donald <laughs> Trump. It's his kid. And, and, and then at the, I don't know. To me, it's just crazy. And, and these are people that have nothing better to do. 
These are people I notice when you find people on Twitter that are doing nothing else but Twitter. Those are the people that have enough time. That's how little shit they got going on. That a photo like this is pretty much their 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 entire alpha omega. No pun intended, you know. Where I guess pun intended partially. <laughs> I, I, real, I realized that, that it, I realized it at the end. I realized it as I said it, but I still went. You know, but the point being, you know, there's so many people that they, they don't they don't have enough going on that they're that's their prioritized focus. And they think that they're making a difference by having these really obscure, trivial opinions on things that really don't mean shit. So like stop in reality, it. what you like, what they don't realize is, guess what? At the end of the day, you're still talking about them. Guess what? They're not talking about fucking you. Yeah. They're too busy doing stuff and mattering and accomplishing things. Say whatever you want about Trump or Trump Jr. At the end of the day, I guarantee they've accomplished more in a week than most of you have in your whole lives. The motherfucker could buy us tonight if he wanted to. All right. I'm not saying shit. I'm minding my own business. Yeah. And it's not even just a matter of that. It's just the, the, the fact that, it, it you know, you can take a picture with somebody and not have to agree with everything about them. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe, 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 maybe Trump Jr. is a Fozzie fan. We don't know. Maybe he has Judas on his playlist right now. Yeah. Well, let's move away from that. If you if you if you reacted to this, you're an idiot. Congratulations, idiot. <laughs> you know what do you win? You win. Hear me calling you an idiot and not having it's a platform to piss him off. You win getting to hear me call you an idiot and not having a platform to rebuttal on because you didn't bother to fucking take the effort into doing anything but tweeting. I was too busy doing this, making this, worrying about fucking Twitter. <laughs> Next, Randy, <laughs> Randy, I didn't mean for it to come off that way, but Randy Orton has signed the new WWE contract for five years. Yep, so he ain't going nowhere. He'll be with WWE at least until the age of 44, you know. So. I, I knew he wasn't, I knew he wasn't going anywhere. He was joking like, oh, am I dipped? I'm like, no, you fucking not. We go to AEW. No, he's sticking around. You, you, you can't just run around RK on people I know where AEW. They'll fuck you up for that. Don't do that. Yeah, nah, you don't want to do that shit. Yeah. Also, uh, I know, I'm trying to get the important stories because we're clearly not going to finish everything. There's like fucking four times as many stories as when we made the show years ago. I don't want people to be like, hey, you forgot this or hey, you forgot that. But yeah, Alexa oh, Bliss, Alexa Bliss, according to Brad Shepard, we're hearing that uh, she's been cleared for in-ring action because you guys heard recently she was injured. That's why it's just been Nikki Cross for a while. But uh, we're basically hearing that uh, there's an internal situation where people don't think that she's going to be able to last much longer and uh i kind of agree but probably not for the same reasons everyone else they're saying that she has a few more years in her because of the amount of injury she's injury prone we've met people in ww we've had people over the years that they're unfortunately everybody's different every human body's different and we have this term has been used a long time in the show but there are people who are simply injury prone it's just something about them they sprain this they turn that they pull this they just weren't it's fucked up to say but they just weren't cut out for this in some ways i'm not saying that i feel this way about bliss but i'm saying that that's what the consensus is that's starting to go around and i also am the one who months ago when this was happening was saying that if it keeps happening this is what they're eventually going to look at do i think that her time is limited because of the fact that she's physically um getting injured and she only has a few years in her no absolutely not i feel that she's the kind of person that will just keep having this history of being injured and recovering and being injured and recovering forever but i think that her time is limited because i don't think that wwe will tolerate that yeah i think that at the end of the day what will wind up happening is like they've done with people in the past that are injury prone. They just won't use them. 
It's just going to be like, we don't, we can't afford to put them into a storyline, have them in a tag team, put them into an angle, worry about building up to a pay-per-view and God forbid this person goes on one of their injuries and then we have to retcon everything. That's what they don't like having to do. And as much as I like Alexa Bliss and I feel she's come a long way as a performer, that's happened to them a lot with her. They've had to like literally rewrite entire fucking things. Half of the women's division wouldn't be the way that it was if it wasn't for the amount of time that they've had to like rechange things around because of the fact that there was something going on with her injury. Her entire show, that thing that she does on the top of the ramp, whatever the fuck that was called, that entire thing only exists because she was injured, where she had Gaston and Bailey on and everything. The whole Nikki Cross thing happened as a result of her being injured. So the point being, it's to the point where instead of them being able to dictate the storylines, her condition is dictating the storylines. So I think that at a certain point, unfortunately, whether she's a good performer or not, they're not going to. uh It's kind of hard to do. You know what I mean? To put somebody into a storyline where you're committed to have them in when this is the thing that keeps happening. And I'm only going by previous experience with what they do when somebody is going through this and kind of stuff, you know, exactly. And uh basically, she's seeing these dirt sheets and these reports and it's pissing her off and she basically posted saying maybe try cutting back on the pointless stories and stop worrying about my career it's just fine so like i said it's to a point now unfortunately where a lot of the wrestlers are getting more aggressive with their opinions you know as far as uh, dirt sheets and stuff like that go so i hope that it works out but i'm just saying it's very rare that you see somebody injured kali was a person like that it's not just because he's not that good in the ring like kali was always injured mark henry's another guy who they they had big plans for him when they got him they gave him a big interest the world's strongest man he's someone who became constantly injured um you know there are just people i think joe's another case right now right well, I mean, Joe's not constantly injured. I mean, he hasn't been around for, for like, like literally bliss is someone they brought up into this in their full career, but there have been cases in the past where, and it's not to say these people don't stick around. These people stick around, but they just don't put them in that position. Dolph is another person stays his point out. He's not as injury prone, but when, but he, whenever they put him in a big role, you know, he's gotten concussed and it's because of his overselling and shit where he's, he's hurt himself. And even, the few times that he's done it has been enough to sort of stunt his push. You know, you look at Mustafa Ali, who got injured once when he was in a big role. They were planning on giving him everything that they gave Kofi. They gave it to Kofi instead. And when Ali came back from injury, it wasn't like they said, okay, let's put you back where we started. It was like, no, Ali has hardly done anything since he's recovered. Part of it is them not no longer having that spot where everything was written conveniently out to build this guy. And the other part of it is probably them saying, no, Harper and Rowan, both of the Bludgeon Brothers. Those two guys were tag team in injuries, and then that doesn't even count the fact that whenever both of them were around, sometimes Wyatt was injured. Bray himself. That might be a reason why Bray had to be repackaged and become the fiend. There was a point when he was gone, you know, and he and part of it was he was just gone and there was nothing for him, but a lot of it was there were times that he got injured. Yeah. And by the time he came back, they just didn't have anything or do anything. The whole foundation of them becoming the Bludgeon Brothers was because one of them was gone, then the other one was gone, then they come back and they keep getting injured. After a while, you are going to say, fuck it, even if you like the person. So... You know, I hope that things work for Bliss, but I'm just saying that the position that she's in right now, it um, it's a little rough. You know, what do you think is going to be her ultimate fate with the way things are going? Oh, I mean, if the injuries keep up like they have been, yeah, for sure, they're they're going to pull the plug soon. But I think if she can stay healthy, I think she's got a lot definitely coming for her. That's the problem, though. She has to stay healthy. Yeah. Like something has to, she has to stay healthy long enough for them to be like, okay, let's see if we can do something for her. And then the second they do something, nothing can go wrong. I hate to say it, but, but at the end of the day, they might already be at the point of being done because 
if you look at the way they've booked Alexa Bliss for what has it been the last past year and a half now, they haven't really wanted to. They've been very hesitant. That's the reason these shows have been coming out. We've been hearing that they don't want to let her back in the ring. There were many times we heard that they were worried about her getting injured and that they were being careful and they were slowly letting her do things. They were putting her in tag teams. They were having her fucking drink coffee at ringside. That's how scared they were about putting her in the ring. And then they finally do. And she gets injured like that immediately again. This is like if Daniel Bryan would have gotten injured like a week after he started <laughs> to wrestle again with the way that they were worried about him. Thank God oh, he never oh, did. That, that'd have been it. But she literally went into that position where they were terrified to put her back and then they put her back and now she got injured and there must be people backstage who were completely against it that are like, see? And the people that are pro-pushing her, what are they going to say now? It was a fluke. Like, no. It was a fluke, exactly. It's hard to say what's going to happen. Yeah, it is. You yeah, see how much stuff there is, man? It's almost impossible. Imagine if we still had multiple people, like an entire panel on this show. Oh dear God! I I I would I would literally get off the show and then go straight to work. We would we would be on here for hours. It's just you and me now. Which would actually until AEW came around and all, and this Wednesday night war started, it it started to make the show shorter. But now there's so much information. Even just you and I going through all of it, there's just not enough time for all of it. Yeah, I mean we're getting through it a little bit smoother, but still, like you know. And yes, yeah, so Sasha is another person. I even think about Sasha, injury prone, really good, really over. In both NXT and in WWE and Raw, she got a big reaction. But the injuries eventually had stunted her growth. Yeah, and now she's virtually Bailey's sidekick at this point. Which is crazy because Bailey was her sidekick. <laughs> and you know what? You know what's another example of a sidekick swapping? Rowan and, and Harper. Yeah. Rowan used to be the fucking sidekick. Remember they used to do that spot where he would slap Eric Rowan and then whip him into the corner? <laughs> Didn't they do? I, I feel like they did it with the opposite now. Where the other guy slapped him. I could be wrong, but it's like either way, one's in charge of the other now, and it flipped. Now, whatever the fuck is under that tarp is gonna be smacking rolling time. Yeah. Let's move along a little bit here. We still have other stuff going on. Eric Bischoff, uh, he spoke to Wrestling Inc. I think we'll get more details of this one, but when the Starcast four, but he talked about what happened with WWE, um, and uh. They asked him about um, the reports that he was brought in to facilitate WWE's move to Fox. And his response was that he doesn't know who said that, that there were a lot of things written. So much of what you read in the dirt sheets at the time when he came into WWE and subsequently after getting into WWE, it's just like nuclear horses so far off base. Nobody articulate that he was brought in to help manage the process with Fox. It, If that was true, somebody forgot to tell him. You know, and then they asked him what happened between him and WWE. And he said that one of the things that he learned is, 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 um, you not to be ready is, is for you not to be really, really passionate about making a commitment that big. And it was a big job. And to be honest about it, he thinks that his personality and the way he approaches things creatively and the way he approaches the business didn't fit into their formula. And he thought that, that, um, that it was going to be one thing that he'll be a little bit more careful about moving forward. And uh, and he wants to make sure that the opportunity and per- personalities kind of match a little bit better than they did in this case. And um, that it was no fault of theirs and that they were very honest and open about the opportunity when he took it, but that he thought it was going to be a great opportunity and it just wasn't. So again, I think that you're going to hear about this a little bit more in StarCast 4. I think he'll go into details about exactly what the hell it was that happened there. Yeah, can't wait to hear more of the details about that. Right. In other news, Jimmy Havoc, uh, yeah, we're going back to some AEW stuff. According to Bodyslam.net, they said that Jimmy Havoc got into a fight with Excalibur. That's the commentator for AEW, right? The one with the mask, yeah. Yeah, at Jimmy's famous seafood this past Friday. 
And no, Jim, Jimmy Havoc does not own. It's not Jimmy's famous seafood. It's a different it's Jimmy. Jimmy's. Yeah. They said that he was intoxicated. And this was at Tony Schiavone's birthday party. And they said he swung at Excalibur and missed. And, uh, and then basically Excalibur grabbed Havoc in a chokehold and put him to sleep. And he went down and, 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 and he basically went down. And this happened in front of Tony Khan. And then Atlas Security came in and they got Excalibur to let go of the chokehold. And uh, then when Havoc came to, he started to throw a punch at Excalibur. And this time he connected with the punch. And then this turned into a big fight that had to be pulled apart between the two of them. And Atlas Security broke it up and escorted Jimmy Havoc outside. And when they got him outside, they tried to calm him down. And Excalibur went outside to talk to him and uh, try to fix things. But uh, he was still pissed off and not wanting to talk. And he threw his cell phone at Excalibur. But he missed him. And it hit the wall and broke into pieces. And then um, they had to separate them again. And then Excalibur went back inside. And then after that, an Uber picked up Jimmy and took him back to the hotel. None of what I said is a storyline. Jesus Christ. And this so, so, what you're, so what you're telling me is mm-hmm. AEW Dark, Lights Out Match, Excalibur, Jimmy Havoc. Let's and go. in front of Tony Khan. Oh, boy. In front of Tony Khan. I guess like the icing on the cake, like in front of Tony Khan. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> I love how you're to clarify this in the storyline. <laughs> yeah, so <sighs> we'll have to see exactly what happens with that. Yeah, for sure. You don't want him to go from undesirable to undeniable to unemployed. Yeah, we. <laughs> <laughs> you know. That's too long of a title, so if we can <laughs> tell us how you went from undeniable to unemployed. What was that story oh, like? <laughs> a bit of the cerveza. <laughs> a little bit of the surface. There you go. There's another one. There you write that shit down. <laughs> Instead of a little bit of the bubbly, you see the way that Jr. has the hurricane router and now announcer using Tope Suicida. Instead of a little bit of the bubbly, he will say a little bit of El Cerveza. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? So, uh, the Gazette local newspaper is reporting that Eric Angra got arrested. And for those of you who don't know who that was, that's the guy who was the director of the China documentary. He was indicted on account of conspiracy to aggravate tra- to aggravated trafficking and drugs, a second-degree felony, one count of aggravated trafficking and drugs, a second-degree felony, one count of tra- trafficking and heroin, a fourth-degree felony, one count of aggravated trafficking and drugs, a fourth degree, a bunch of the second degrees, two counts of possession of heroin. I can't even read all this fucking list is so big. Criminal tools, fifth degree felony, aggravated trafficking and drugs, a first degree felony, more heroin, third degree felonies. And uh it's pretty interesting. And one of the things that's been coming out about it is that when he talked in the documentary about China's death, he said he had no idea how bad her drug problem was and that he was blind to the situation um, and that it changed who he was as a person. What did it change you into like a fucking drug dealer? Did it put you in, in <laughs> what is going on here? Or were you all, always, I'm not even going to try to speculate, but was he always secretly enabling her? Like, were you somebody who was her hookup before and you just happened to get caught? You were a drug guy all along that did a fucking documentary. Is this what I'm hearing now? Because those are a lot of accounts. He has like a paragraph worth of different accounts of different kinds of drugs. You don't go in the short period of time from when China passed to, uh, you know, from just some mild man or guy who makes documentary to fucking Walter White from Breaking Bad, you know? So 
I don't know, man. This is a crazy ass. I mean, some of the news. This is what I meant by I wasn't feeling the news. It all just felt so crazy to me that there was no story I was excited today about. Like, okay, let's start with this. It's like, what the hell? <laughs> so fucking crazy. You know, I'm skimming it. I never fully read it till I get on here, but I'm skimming it during Raw, and it's almost distracting trying to watch these matches with some of the crazy shit that I'm reading. Trying to put the information together. It's just like, what? What is going on here, man? You know, the whole wrestling world going crazy. Yeah, and for like the third or fourth week in a row, we're probably not going to be able to do injuries. I keep pushing injuries, guys. I haven't forgot about them, but I keep pushing injuries because, you know, God help us. Um, there's just a lot of injuries. <laughs> you know, there's really no other way to go about it. There's just a lot of injuries. Going it's just going to have to be a whole separate show, of fucking injury road. Yeah, right. It's going to have to become its own different thing because we just don't really <laughs> have much time to do them. You know, what time? Look at this. We're going, we're going into deep overtime here when it comes to that kind of stuff um yeah you know what man there's really not even stuff here that i'm gonna be bringing up right now no matter what uh the one thing that i do want to bring up just out of respect is the fact that uh matt travis this indie wrestler matt travis he died in a hit and run he was riding his bike in harlem and he was hit by a dump truck you know kurt hawkins is one of the most notable people to tweet out saying my thoughts are with the hog wrestler locker room students friends and family very sad news so you might not know him yeah. but just an indie wrestler passed and i just figured yeah, a, guy, a guy from the house of glory so. right exactly so uh you know keeping that in mind you know um you know definitely condolences to all who that affected that really does suck oh yeah sad news right? yeah yeah really really sad news uh at Starcast, just wanted to bring something I thought it was interesting. Jungle Boy was talking about saying that he got stuck with the Jungle Boy thing, that he never thought of it. He just got stuck with it and he thought it was really dumb. But then over time, people liked it and they latched onto it. So he kind of adapted his style and everything to the name. And, uh, yeah, so I just thought it was interesting. It's not like this guy, you know, Luke Perry's kid said, you know, I want to be Jungle Boy. I guess he was at a wrestling event and they were just like, hey, man, you're Jungle Boy. And he was like, what the fuck's Jungle Boy? And he went with it. And it's funny because I always thought about that. I was just like, like, whenever I see him, it's like, I see Luke Perry dressed as Tarzan. You know what I mean? It's just strange. It's like, <laughs> What's Jungle about you? You're Luke Perry's kid. There was nothing Jungle about him. You know, so it's like, even though it's the kayfabe of wrestling, it's strange when someone looks so much like Luke Perry that you can't forget that that's Luke Perry's kid, but he's Jungle Boy. It's almost like if Arnold Schwarzenegger was Tarzan. He's good for some things, but it would, you would, if you saw Arnold Schwarzenegger as Tarzan, it would just, you wouldn't be able to stop seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger. You would never see Tarzan. Yeah. It would look like a parody. Yeah. Even if he took the role as seriously as Arnold possibly could, if he was swinging around on vines with fucking Jane and, and, and Cheetah and all this shit, it would be crazy. You know, and I say this put, like, like Spider-Man. If you look at Spider-Man in the movie, the whole thing where he got thrown into the ring, they made him the human spider and he had no choice. That's what happened to, to Perry's kid. He had literally, they made him Jack Perry. They were like, you're jungle boy now. <laughs> like, like you, you can't, you can't sit there and just fucking Tarzan sit there. Uh, me Tarzan, ah, like you can't know. You, you can't take me out of that. Yeah, so you know, it's uh, it's nuts. Yeah, it's, it's really crazy. Uh, everything's weird now. It's crazy. Like it's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, the gimmick works. I don't know why does Marco Stunt get his gimmick? Did he come up with that shit himself? I mean, you know, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, that's what the is, story I want to hear. What is Who the gimmick? fuck came up with Marco Stunt? Yeah, hell if I know, right? <laughs> Who said we're going to have a child-sized man taking package pile drivers at the top fucking rope? <laughs> yeah. And uh, 
Dolph Ziggler spoke to Talk Sport. I'm going to link you guys to this in the chat room. But uh, I thought it was actually really interesting that he talked about his experience working with the Goldberg match. And uh, yeah, apparently he didn't like it, you know, which big surprise there. Somebody who's a workhorse Ooh, like Ziggler, <laughs> say what you want about it. But there's what he had to say. Goldberg, right? You had that, you had that match with him at SummerSlam. Yeah. Now, it kind of felt like um, WWE wanted to rehab him a little bit after the uh, Undertaker-Saudi Arabia thing. Didn't go according to plan as they would have liked. Sure. Um, and then you're the guy they call, right? The, the performer they can rely on. Large um, that up. How did that feel to get that spot? Were you a fan of his as a kid? Because I know you uh, as a kid, As a kid, yeah. It's, it's you know, now it's, yeah, I'm a... I'm a grown-up, and uh, I see these guys, and I go, okay, I'm, I'm here to do business yeah. and do special things. Um, so I try not to be like the fan. Um, I find out what the business is and be like, cool, this will be a special moment. Uh, but yeah, as a kid, big time, big fan. And um, that having that going, you're the guy to do this, to set the record straight and give this guy this awesome match. You go, fantastic. And they go, it's going to be a bell, spear, pin. And I go, come on. Yeah. <laughs> God. Uh, so I, I fought all day long, threatened to leave, threatened to quit, did everything I could to give me two damn minutes. And I, yeah, I got a minute. Whatever. What are you do? Yeah. I'm sure it's not the first time he's threatened to quit. Motherfucker should have got a minute and a fucking win. I said it before, I'll say it again. 2019 Goldberg win is unconvincing as all hell. Yeah, it's strange <laughs> stuff. It's definitely strange stuff. Yeah, so I think that's pretty much it for the news here. At least that's all we're going to talk about at this point. Yeah. Um, well, some of y'all get salty when we forget stuff. You got to wait till next week. Come yeah, on now. You know, or, ask, or ask ahead of time. You could tweet or say you want to hear more about this or that, you know? You could control yeah. the second like a community here. If you don't care and you just think you want to leave it to us to pick it, we might pick the shit we want, you know? Yeah, we're open books here. Mm-hmm. So uh, what do we got to talk about now at this point? Do you want to, because it's, it's getting kind of late, it's up to you if you want to cover NXT, because I don't, you know. Uh, yeah, I can run through NXT. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I am pretty much started off with a little bit of breaking news, because uh, before the show started, the OC basically came in and laid out Undisputed Era. Yeah, what was that, dude? that Bobby Fish situation? What the hell happened there? I th- it looked like a fucking blood packet, didn't it? It had to be. I thought his face it- exploded against the wall. <laughs> Dude, I rewinded yeah, it like three times. It was like, what? That shit didn't hit the wall for a like, like, oh my God. Like the first time it hit so fast that for some reason just my rational mind went, was that stain already there? <laughs> and then I had to rewind. It was like, what the fuck's going on here? It was just so weird, you know? It happened so fast. I wasn't sure what happened. Like, I, I thought it was just like some random dent in the wall. And I was like, I was, I would check. I was looking for his face for blood. And I'm like, why do I see his face? What the fuck? Like, oh my God. Yeah. But it was nuts. And then, um, the OC officially make their first ever appearance. I can't believe it's their first appearance in NXT. And, um, basically talk saying, Hey, like, hey, this is NXT. Basically kind of trying to run the place down. And, uh, Tommaso Ciampa shows up and basically tells them, welcome to the main roster. And they make it clear, hey, there's one of you three of there's one of you three of us, but Keith Lee and Matt Riddle show up and basically set up a six man tag for the night. They rely on those guys a lot, huh? Yeah, I mean there's some they, they've become quite the tag team. I think when the Dusty Cup rolls around again, that's probably gonna be one of the teams to enter. But yeah, quite quite the uh, opening and set up a huge main event, so but uh first match of the evening we had was Damian Priest versus Pete Dunn. 
which the friends to this match is after not only just blocking a low blow and returning the favor, Dunn, I guess, goes for another variation of that finger pop submission. This time it's another triangle being an arm bar and he gets the submission win. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just like last time, they kicked the holy shit out of each other. Like Pete Dunn continuously rolls out these show stealing matches no matter where he is on the card or wherever he shows up. It's just cool that Damian Priest got um, that rare honor of being one of the few people to beat Pete Dunne. So it shows they definitely are quite high with him in NXT, which, I mean, we've seen from Ring of Honor. He's a fantastic athlete. Yeah, yeah, very, very good. And uh, I have to admit, this is one of those cases where they did better for the guy than where he was because that punishment, Martinez, um, I don't. I didn't like it that much. Like I think the name is not as intimidating. Damian Priest sounds more like what he is. What you see when you look at him. His you know? entrance is so cool. Yeah, the entrance, the presentation. That's one thing WWE is able to really put over the character for a lot of these guys. Sometimes it's not as good, but when they really try yeah. and put their all into it, uh, you get cases where it's excellent. You know? Yeah, but of course the craziness wasn't over because Killian Dane struck and laid out Pete Dunne, and basically, uh, uh, Damian Priest got in his way. But uh, Dane put him down with a cannonball into the seat, into the steel steps. So, uh, yeah, Killian Dane definitely is making sure he's not forgotten. I'm definitely seeing a three way between these two probably in the, in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then uh, we followed by the NXT debut of Santana Garrett. Mm-hmm. She and she faces off against a former Mae Young classic competitor, Tainara Conti. Did they take the Conti out of her name or no? No, it's still there. Okay. Yeah, but um, and like uh, actually, kind of a surprising deal. Tainara goes over. She usually doesn't win too often on TV, but um, she hit her with a short arm um, bicycle kick and got an easy three count. Mm-hmm. And uh, definitely showing that mean streak. I, I like that Tainara kind of dances that line between a heel and a face. Sometimes she shows it, sometimes she doesn't. I've never seen somebody have so much fun dancing to their own entrance music. Yeah, like uh-huh. that bitch comes out hype and it's fun every time. That's why I'm always excited whenever she shows up. But, uh, yeah, it was a good match. I didn't expect for Santana to lose in her first match, so it's kind of weird. Yeah. But I guess yeah. maybe there may be something for Tyler in the future. Maybe she's not someone who they're planning on pushing. She's enhancement talent. She's just a good hand they want to keep her on, which kind of sucks, but that could be what it is. Could be a possibility. Yeah, but then after that, an old rivalry relived once again because um, I think what they call it, the the, the boot or something like that. Um, you mean team Shayna Baszler. What you mean, Team Kick? Oh no, they hold um that little talk show, mini talk show thing they did, where uh, Shayna Baszler and Rhea Ripley started to reveal some of the team. Well, one name that got mentioned during all this chaos was Dakota Kai, and Rhea Ripley basically said she didn't know if she was much of a fighter and fit for war games. And Shayna, with her history, of course, she does her Shayna thing. So the next match we wound up getting up for the third time, Shayna Baszler and Dakota Kai. And the finish to this match, after fighting it as long as she possibly could, Dakota Kai gets choked out with a with the Kirafuda clutch. Yeah, but you know what? I like the fact that they didn't make Dakota Kai look like some punk ass this time around. She was holding her own. They she stood in the middle of the ring with her and she was striking her. This was more of an aggressive Dakota Kai. They didn't do that angle where she's scared of Shayna. She was out there fighting. You know, oh, she fought her ass off. Yeah, you know, and I mean, gonna, the only gonna do she that, couldn't. You know? They're not going to let her get her heat back, unfortunately, because they just have Shane is like really high on the roster for them, you know? Yeah, the girl, I mean, the girl, she's probably, I think she's probably the best NXT women's champion they've had, honestly. 
She's the only two-time one, which trumps anything any other past woman has done. She's beaten everybody on the roster, with the exception of some of the few new people who have shown up, like Rhea Ripley. So it's a, it's going to be an interesting deal to see um, what goes on. But yeah, Dakota Kai got a lot of offense in. She came close multiple times winning this. But the one thing I like that kid uh, Baszler did is when she got the clutch and she hooked the arm that was closest to the ropes. Yeah. So at that point, Dakota knew she couldn't go anywhere. And rather than pass out, she submitted. Mm-hmm. But the chaos uh, didn't end because the other two horsemen came up and beat up Kai after the bell. Um, Rhea Ripley showed up. Io Shirai showed up. Candice LeRae showed up. But a key thing is Mia Yim came in swinging with a candlestick and lit up everything moving. Mm-hmm. Just went completely berserk. Yeah. And then a little bit later on. Uh, Rhea Ripley announced the fourth member of her team going into the first ever war game, women's war game match, the HBIC, me again. Uh-huh. Excellent. Good stuff there. Well, yeah. And um, now we have next week is going to be a ladder match between EO and uh, Mia to decide who gets advantage in war games. I'm looking forward to that and to see how these two work together. That's going to be nuts. I want to say it's the first ladder match on NXT TV. Like outside of a takeover, at least in my memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's going to be a great one. But then uh, up next, we had Tony Nese versus Angel Garza, our number one contenders match for the NXT Cruiserweight Championship. Mm-hmm. And basically, winner of the, and winner of this match with um, God, what's he called? He called it the the wing clip, something yeah, like that. The wing clipper. The, the wing clipper. Angel Garza goes over and is going to face Tony. Uh, going to face um, Leo Rush next week for the Cruiserweight Championship. Yeah, which that'll be a better match. I've seen. I've had my fill of Tony Nese. You know, yeah, I, I, I'm over Tony Nese at this point. I want to see some fresh talent out there. Yeah. One, one uh, spot that didn't make me laugh in this match was, uh, I guess he was uh, Tony went for that sunset flip power bomb off the top rope, but then power bomb the pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love the way Morrow sold it. I've never in all my days seen so many power bomb pants. That is crazy, man. <laughs> and uh, and then when Garza wins and he gets to the top of the ramp where Leo rushes, um, Garza winds up slapping him, right? Yo, he slapped the fire out of him, like he. Yeah, which which Leo oh, rush? Oh my um, god, Leo rush kind of grins like, oh yeah, motherfucker, you know. So uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, that's, that's gonna be a lot of fun because I don't think they've ever fought each other before. Mm-hmm. That's, that's gonna be a lot of fun to watch. But then uh, after that. We had somebody you've been actually getting really high on lately, uh, Isaiah Swerve Scott versus Donovan Die Jehovah Witness. That's what I'm calling him now. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> nah, Swerve Scott, man. That guy, he's really good. I mean, clearly they must know they have him, right? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I wa- I discovered him originally in Lucha Underground as Killshot. Dude's been absolutely incredible, but I feel like he's even better than he was there. Yeah. Very unique. And then the offense. crowd loves him. Like unique offense, good look, everything. I can't wait to see what they uh what they do with this. But that being said, they weren't ready to push him yet over Dominic Dekolhovic, whatever the fuck. <laughs> uh, because he he winds up going over because uh basically Swerve goes for a flatliner and Dominic catches it and he winds up hitting him with feast your eyes. Which I like that they let him keep that finisher. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful looking move. But I mean, yeah, it was a back and forth match the whole time. Like they kept it really interesting throughout the entire thing to the point where you at one point you almost didn't know who was going to win this. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was next? The main event? Yeah, main event. Main uh, event. OC's, 
OC versus Champa, Lee, and Riddle. Mm-hmm. With the finish of this match, wow, uh, I actually wound up getting thrown out because yeah. uh, the Limitless one got a little too carried away and basically pounced AJ into the ref. Pretty yeah. much killed the ref. <laughs> Everything uh, kind of broke down from there. Uh, Undisputed Era came out. Just a lot of chaos goes on. Basically, everybody got jumped. But the interesting thing that happened at the end was Bowler showed up. Yeah. And there seemed to be this little interaction between AJ and Bowler where it's kind of it, there, there wasn't a clear message that Bowler was sending if he was against them or he was with them. Yeah. Well, Cole and, and, and Bowler sort of smile at each other, you know? Yeah. So uh, it's it's kind of hard to tell, but they also could do the new Bullet Club where you have the OC there and Finn Balor's with them. You know, exactly. It's, it's interesting to see which way it can go no matter what, because when he first turned, it looked like he might have been with, with uh, the Undisputed Era, but so far he hasn't been. Yeah, yeah. it's just Balor seems to almost, and I, I might be calling it a bit early, but Balor seemed to almost be acting in the sense of who's going to benefit me better in this moment because that's when I'm going to show up. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. he, and, he and Gargano still have unfinished business. So it's still, we even still had to wait to see how that's going to turn out. Uh-huh. All right, well, that's pretty much NXT in a nutshell, right? Right? Yeah, it was a good one this week. It was a pretty, it was a really, really interesting NXT this week. Yeah, no, do you see what uh-huh. I mean? And that's why those ratings, dude, you know, I'm just I'm talking about when, with those ratings. Think about how interesting that shit is that they have going on there. You know, it's actually very good storytelling. It's it feels different from AEW, but uh, those are just interesting things going. They're both doing interesting stuff. You know, right now the uh, NXT stuff has the advantage of getting cross promoted on two other networks or on two other yeah. time slots, one other network. Exactly. It's going to be intriguing to see how things go in the coming weeks. I like that this NXT truly did feel like a bit like a different NXT because there was a threat of Raw and SmackDown looming in the background. Who do you think that won it this week, AEW or NXT in quality of show? Oh, it's kind of tough because the fact that AEW was a go-home show. They always crank it into high gear when it comes to go-home shows. But this NXT had the aura of the fact that we had three guys and AJ and the Good Brothers who have never been there before. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, for me at least, it felt like a draw this week. I Fair couldn't enough. pick which show I liked over the other. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, for me, oh, that's a tough one. It's really tough, right? You know what, man? I still have to give it to AEW because of the Jericho stuff was really funny and entertaining. And yeah. uh, even if you don't count the great pay-per-view, just the Dynamite alone had so many memorable moments. And that doesn't take anything away from NXT. It was good, but it's just at the end of the day, AEW was still better. But just like the ratings, this time it was close. Yeah, but it you're was right. close what, no matter which one you pick. But the key thing is what made it close was the main roster guys being there and having an invasion feel. You know, so we're going to have to see exactly how that works out. And that brings us to Fox's Smackdown in the Manchester Arena in England, where uh, King Corbin starts the show and he gave a, what was that, a fucking 20 minute promo? 20 minute oh promo? Oh my God, I didn't think it was going to end. Yeah, where Roman Reigns, you know, he talks about Roman Reigns' testicles and how they shrunk into marbles. He puts the graphic of the shield, the dog, the big dog graphic up there on the Tron. But um, I, they had it edited where it's barking like a chihuahua bark, 
just sort of as a, um, a thing. The, first of all, the segment bomb. The fans weren't into it. It booed. A lot of the things that he was doing just came off as adolescent and childish. The segment just didn't go over well. So bad start to SmackDown. Um, basically, um, after that, we have the SmackDown Tag Team Championship with the Revival against the New Day. The New Day uh, going over, Kofi hitting Trouble in Paradise, and then becoming Tag Team Champions. Hot Potato, the Revival lose the fucking titles again. And it's almost like they just, it's weird how they give it to them. It never leads to anything. I never feel like the Revival's been the Tag Team Champions, even though they've been the Tag Team Champions. Because I they, feel like they, somehow they lose it more than they gain it. Even though you could only lose they, or they, gain it, it feels like they always lose it. It's because they only give them those titles so they stick around. They're dumb enough to keep sticking around. Yeah. And then, and then Imperium winds up showing up and they attack Kofi and Big E after they win the tag titles. And uh, this was a little bit different because it's now NXT UK getting involved in it. Well, we're hearing that from now on that UK guys are going to be showing up when NXT does their takeovers and their big shows. So there's more crossover there. You have now a fourth brand coming into this fold because they're attacking Kofi and Big E. And I like Imperium, so it's cool that they're there. They also beat up Heavy Machinery. And um, the locker room does a run-in because, you know, this is a whole invasion thing. Um, You know, basically to clear the ring of these guys. Um, What was after this? Nakamura and Cesaro against Shorty G and Mustafa Ali? Oh, yeah. I still can't believe they're calling him fucking Shorty G. Like, oh, what, what? Come on, guys. Yeah, yeah. And Daniel Bryan, literally, he was still doing that whole thing where he's at the top of the ramp reluctantly. Like, he can't decide if he wants to be part of um Nakamura's team. You know, that uh, Sami Zayn proposed to him. So we have to see what happens with that. Uh, Sasha Banks has a match against Nikki Cross. Um, this is actually pretty interesting because Sasha had a new song Do we, is that anywhere like is there anywhere we could find the uh we probably can right um let me see if i can track it down but yeah it was basically a more official version of uh what they did for her at wrestlemania 32 yeah this was this had snoop in the lyrics and stuff i guess this is going to be her heel music and if she turns face i think they'll just keep it uh that way yeah let me see if i can uh i might have it here see if this is the one I think I have it. I'm just pulling up a random clip of it. Yep, that's it. Yes, yes, y'all. So fresh, y'all. Snoop Dogg and Sasha Banks do the best, y'all. Make way for the new. Come and do. And if you win the way, let me say she coming for you. Fans up, hands up in the air. It's not bad, right? When I say hell, you say hell. Yeah, I like it. Hell, hell, yeah, very interesting enough. You see, they're still doing stuff for her, so it's like we can count her out, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, it makes sense. Like, if Bailey's going to change her theme, why not Sasha change her theme, too? Yeah, pretty much. And, uh, yeah, basically, uh, Nikki Cross winds up having to deal with Bailey in the middle of the match, causing, uh, Banks to wind up going over. And, uh, 
even after it's over, Bailey winds up beating the hell out of Nikki Cross until Shayna Baszler comes in, not essentially for the save, but really because she's there and she's going after them. Uh, so what was after this? It was, I think it was, uh, it was Carmella and Dana Brooke against Fire and Desire. And then the incredible part is that Dana Brooke is the one who gets the cover and wins. It's the first time I've seen her win. I don't even know in how long I've oh seen this. Oh my God, yes. You know, and they qualify to be, um, on Team SmackDown for Survivor Series. So excellent stuff there. Oh yeah, for sure. Dana deserved. I like that that flip she did off of the ramp. You know, she's still so athletic. You know, she. I loved when she does that shit. Yeah, yeah, really cool shit. Yeah, proud. She was on. She was on the apron and she just flips off down to the side, which was really dope in the middle of the match. Um, Roman Reigns has his match against Baron Corbin, um, and uh, basically what winds up happening is Rude and Ziggler go after Roman, but um, he winds up attacking them, and this ironically causes Corbin to go over. Yeah, with uh, which I'm starting to realize it's almost like it's the most protected move in all the wrestling. Freaking the end of days, even Roman couldn't kick out of this shit because his moves look so good when he hits you with them that it looks like you die. Yeah, you know, like when Baron Corbin hits that deep six where he grabs them and he just spins and fucking powers them into the ground. The way their bodies look after, and then the and the, the, the whole thing. He, I like I like this he, guy, he, man. He even looked like he struggled a little bit with Roman, but still managed to get at least a good three or four rotations in. Like, Barry Corbin is incredibly athletic and powerful. Mm-hmm. Like, Roman ain't small, okay? <laughs> so, for him to hit that on Roman was amazing. Yeah, excellent stuff. And uh, next we have a segment with Braun Strowman and Tyson Fury, where basically Tyson Fury calls out Strowman. But I predicted, I was saying to myself as this is happening, come on, do something interesting with this. If you're going to have to do it, do something else. I don't want to rematch. And then he basically says, Fury says that the two of them should team up sometime. And uh, and then basically they wind up fighting the B team who come out and pick a fight with them. And they were like, well, and Curtis Axel says something like, we're stupid enough to fight. If there's anyone stupid enough to fight you too, it's us. Making that was like a Sid level stupid. move. Like. You know? Um, yeah, I guess that was okay. We should team up sometime. Cue the B team to come up. What would have made more sense to me would have been just them congratulating each other and having a good match. And then the B team coming out without them saying that we could team up sometime. That way the team up would have seemed more organic. Like the reason it happened was because when they were having their little post-match celebration, these guys showed up and inadvertently they wound up teaming up realistically as opposed to you and I should team up sometime and they team up seconds later. But I love yeah. how fucking Fury came off like such a mark at some point. He's just like, yeah! I'm like, he has, like I said before, like, he has a good personality. It's just that WWE doesn't know how to portray it well. And I've realized that like after just seeing a little bit more of him. You know, but uh, was that it? Was that the, the whole SmackDown? Well, I mean, then, the only other thing that happened was uh, The Fiend picked another target. So, basically, um, I think it was Sami Zayn was talking to Daniel Bryan in the back about trying to join forces with Nakamura. Right, right. And he Lights told go him, out. Yeah, you just reminded me. He told him, he said that I think that you already made up your mind about uh, what it is that you want to do. And then before anything gets to happen, uh, yeah, the, the Fiend winds up taking him out. So going to be Daniel Bryan against the Fiend next, which is pretty much mm-hmm. an old school thing, you know? It's like this, yeah. they can't separate these Wyatts. It, it's kind of interesting. I don't know if you know the pattern, but it seems like. A lot of the people the fiends going after are people that Bray had issues with in the past. Oh, yeah, he's gone after Balor. He's gone after Rollins. He's gone after Kane. Like I, I noticed, I noticed a pattern, and it didn't become clear to me right until he attacked Daniel Bryan. Good news, though, that puts Daniel Bryan back in the world title picture. Exactly. You know, now he's going to be fighting the world, the, yeah. the WWE Universal Champion on SmackDown. You know, yeah, it's kind of cool. 
what I liked about this is just a minor detail, maybe just for me. Usually when we see him attack somebody in the crowd, we hear faint little like noises from the fiend. It's crazy to hear all the activity coming from him when he's doing that mandible claw. Yeah. It's a lot more sinister and like creepy and like how muffled he sounds under that mask. Yeah, for sure. For absolute sure. Yeah. Even though he fucking up with the red light, he's still doing good with it. Yeah. And and that's that's pretty much it, man. Smackdown, Smackdown held its own. And the yeah, ratings the ratings jumped for it. They did a good job with the UK. This was a tape show, but uh it was really good. And uh that brings us to tonight's tape show from the UK, which was Raw. Which uh, I'm gonna burn through this quick because we want to get the hell out of here. But this, the first match of this was Becky Lynch and Charlotte against the Kabuki Warriors, with the finish being Shayna interfering, distracting Becky, and then Bailey winds up coming out to attack Shayna. So Oscar uses that distraction to roll up Becky. Afterwards, Bailey winds up coming in and beating up a distracted Becky, and uh, that pretty much is how that entire thing goes down. And uh, it was a good match, but I just think poor Kyrie Sane being being. Uh, painted as a smaller less threatening opponent when she's doing her little chopping to charlotte who's essentially no selling the entire chopping and then um you know just charlotte you know they're kind of making charlotte like i get that she's big but geez holy shit you know you have a a chick that's chopping you a japanese chick nonetheless they're known for their chops and you're standing there invincible like colossus and then you throw her around and then to make matters worse and bury her further you allow her to go make her hot tag like she's like go ahead she let her go go get go get your hot tag punk ass that's that's the way they're portraying charlotte like this complete and total bad like there's nothing i'm gonna allow your corpse to crawl over to the i'm not even gonna try to grab you let's go get your hot tag and come on it's Kyrie. it's Kyrie saying though she was a bad Badass, you know, insane elbow, that crazy bitch. Like, how the fuck do you make that? Where it's like yeah, pretty like much doing it's that. hard for her size. Yeah. Like, oh. yeah, but they did. She gets some of her heat back with the counter into the sleeper. You know, I thought that was a really cool looking counter into the sleeper, at least. You know, but yeah. but anyway, you know, like I said, uh, that whole match falls apart thanks to the distractions and everything. Uh, we have Orton backstage, who essentially is the beginning of his face turn because he's with Ricochet and Humberto, and he's like standing with them against the OC, which is leading into that match later on. Uh, we had Sin Cara against Drew McIntyre. Decided, they decided to put Sin Cara out on the field as a result of what he did earlier, asking for his release because they job him out. Glasgow kick and he's gone. And you know, he was sent home after that. Um, to make matters worse, before this even happened, he had to eat a nasty power bomb. Nasty, nasty power bomb on the outside. You know, it looks like we're going to just take your ass out. And that's essentially what they did. You know, we get this weird, uh, video package where Eric Rowan, he, he has what he's like, Talk, he's talking to something behind a cage, right? His little pretty or whatever the fuck he's calling it. I don't know what the fuck. That is. I don't know what the hell that nonsense was either, but he's talking to something behind a damn cage. It doesn't really make any sense to me. Um, you know, they, I thought we were going to get a reveal later, but we're going to get into that. Oh, you get R-Truth. What was going on here? R-Truth against one of the Singh brothers. It's to the point where I stopped. Yeah, it was supposed to be R-Truth versus, I think, Sunil for the Universal title. So an actual match for the Universal Championship. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, well, for strange. the 24-7 championship. It's the first time that they're actually doing that in a while where the 24-7 title's not something that they're just running around do- dealing with. And uh, what how, what the hell even happened in this? It, it, it just turned into them running around. <laughs> it just did turn into them running around, right? And then backstage, Rowan, he does a fuck your couch move on the things where he literally picks up an entire couch and just throws the shit at them. And uh, this causes Truth to come in. He sees what's going on. He sees them all fucked up. And they're like, Truth, help us, help us. And he looks around and, he's, and he says, I'm going to give you guys some privacy. And the guy turns off the lights and uh, leaves them to their doom. No title or nothing. That was it. They're just gone, you know? Motherfuckers died in that room. <laughs> yeah, so crazy stuff with that. Then you got Rollins who's doing a promo. It was all white noise to me, but I can tell you that after he did it, then Imperium shows up, which leads into the match of Rollins versus Walter. 
Yeah, he pretty much called out the UK's best, and I'm like, okay, send for Walter. Yeah, and then this match winds up turning into uh, what was it? Uh, like a like a six man, I guess. Uh, uh, eight man because eight the Street man because, came right. out, and then Kevin Owens came out right against Imperium with the finish being Rollins going over Alexander Wolf with the stomp, and uh, yeah, it was it was a good match. It was what you would expect from a match. The only you know one thing stood out to me: Montez Ford he overshot that moonsault to the outside. Be careful, man! Don't die. Oof. He caught a little bit of Wolf and a lot of bit of table, like. He, Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. In, in fact, the fact that he hit Wolf first, I think, made it less bad for him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's nuts. It was really crazy. I'm glad that we're getting big matches like that. Like I've always told you, I'm a big match guy, and we're in Survivor Series season. I'm glad they're taking advantage. Yeah, I mean, cool to see Walter made it to Raw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Congratulations, the big man. <laughs> they, they, look at how many stables are jumping all over the place. You got the OC, you got the Undisputed Era, you got Imperium. You know, I like that we have all these different stables everywhere showing up and doing things. You know, it's really cool. Yeah, all these guys make it to this show without having to be quote unquote called up. Yeah, that's what they needed. You know, I think it's working out so far. Nothing means it's going to keep working out, but so far. Yeah. Um, Andrade has a match against Cedric Alexander with the finish being he does the hammerlock DDT, but this is via Zelina Vega assist. I'm assuming something's going to happen with this because it's, she's becoming too much of a factor to the point where Andrade wins his matches because Zelina Vega's there, period. So I don't know what yeah. they want to do. Is, is this leading to her being suspended above the ring in a cage? Are they going to do some sort of crazy shit? I don't know. But we're going to have to see. Um, you know, Cedric obviously is his momentum's down right now. There was speculation that it's because he was dealing with a minor injury. We'll have to see if there's any truth to that. Um, then we get the infamous Lana promo, which has been noted to be one of the worst uh, segments of Raw in history. We knew going into this, we had already heard because this was taped, that there was a really bad segment with Lana. I even warned you guys in the chat room. I said, listen, guys, there's this really bad segment that's going to be coming up that we're hearing that they said all of this crazy shit that they were they, they were basically saying std std they were cursing they were booing you know rusev day chan like the crowd was just rabid during this and i told you guys listen very carefully but since this is a canned show you're not listening carefully to hear all of this you're listening carefully to hear how much of this wwe and kevin dunn were able to do damage control on with the fucking audio because there's no way that things went as rabid as we're hearing that they went and WWE didn't do something. You know what I mean? To try to cushion it. That being said, the cushioning that they did, it must have been really bad because I heard all of it. The, the crowd still sounded rabid. They sounded like they hated the segment, you know, and it was a terrible segment. She's a bad promo. I've heard that she's uncomfortable. I heard that she's she not comfortable. She, I heard she's not. She's the least comfortable with this story. Um, so I hear that that's the reason why it's awkward. I don't know if there's any truth to that, but she admits that she cheated on Rusev because he cheated on her first, which to me, that's really strange. I kind of feel like WWE, and I it's strange for me to have to say this, but WWE has too many single male writers. And the problem with having too many single male writers is, number one, they don't know how to write women. And number two, they don't know how to write realistic relationships. And people who do know women and do know realistic relationships are looking at this storyline and they're being turned off to it because it's so silly for someone to come out and say, I cheated on Rusev and I admit it, but it's because he cheated on me first. 
it's it's just like it, that's not really the way that that it would go you know um and then she goes into the seven weeks ago she had sex with bobby lashley for the first time and this is their sex anniversary with terrible terrible cringe 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 but she admits that she's nine weeks pregnant which means rusev's the father who then comes out and um this causes lashley to come out after some words between the two of them because rusev isn't really buying it the crowd isn't really buying it no one's really buying it and even the people that are buying it don't give a fuck Lashley ambushes Rusev and then at the top of the ramp guess what she reveals it was bullshit so basically everyone suffered through a bad promo for the revelation that they already knew that it was bullshit and uh I I'm not enjoying it nobody else is really enjoying it you know there's different ways for Lana to be sexy and hot and for you guys to talk about sex and do an edgy storyline without it being bad you know and uh there was a fan who tweeted to WWE and he said, Dear WWE, if you want to just drop the Rusev, Bobby Lashley, Lana Angle with literally no explanation, I'm good with that. Just walk away and pretend the angle never happened. No backlash, we're good. And then Rusev replies and he goes, Dear guy, nobody cares what you were good with. So um, Rusev is defending the storyline. Maybe he just likes that he has a storyline. You know, we're hearing that in the Lana situation, she's not comfortable, but it's either that or stay home. So, I don't know. It's strange. The whole thing's weird, man. And again, I notice WWE, whenever they have a couple around, it's almost like there's an awkwardness. I don't know if it's envy or jealousy or whatever, but it happened with, with, uh, Mike and Mike Bennett and Maria Canellis, where, uh, it just felt like there's jealousy. It's like they don't, they've never been in a woman before, a lot of these fucking writers. So they don't know how to write a woman, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> You know, <laughs> you ain't shit. Fuck the writers. If I could, I knew you. So fuck the writers. Believe me, believe me. If somebody did, this wouldn't be an issue. Right now. You know, but I feel that way. I feel like we're we're in, we're in a case where these writers have never been. They've never known a woman before. You know, so they don't understand how relationships work. They write women like shit. They wrote the Mike Canellis and Maria stuff like shit. They're writing this like shit. Every time they try to incorporate a storyline of a married couple, the Becky Lynch and Rollins shit was awkward and written like shit. After a while, you got to ask yourself, since we know that this is all scripted and that they're very, very anal about you changing anything about the script. Could it be, could it be that you need some women writers who... or who are, you know, can give a female perspective? And could it be that you need some men whose uh, penis has done more than dangle in front of the toilet when they take a dump. Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, could it be that you don't want a bunch of fucking 40-year-old virgins writing your sexy storylines in WWE? A bunch of fart joke motherfuckers who clearly don't know how to put anything proper together? Is that who you want writing your storylines, WWE? Because that's what it seems like. It seems to me like nobody been in a relationship before so they don't know anything about a relationship you know i don't need my wrestling if you're gonna be edgy i don't need it to be edgy it's wrestling i could just enjoy just wrestling with innocent fun pg's fine with me but if you do decide you're gonna be edgy and rated r i don't need it to be written by a writer who wouldn't know what to do with a pussy in his mouth (laughs) i i i got nothing i just i I tried to figure something like you know, a snappy comeback, something, nothing. I just no, they ain't nothing. They ain't nothing. I just buried the writers. <laughs> was, there wasn't there to be no comeback to that shit. That's what I think. You know? And I feel that way, you know, and someone should tell them this in the company, but people, especially if you're not afraid of getting fired, you should go up to them and tell them, You virgins are writing, you wrote the Mike Canellis thing like shit, you wrote this like shit. It wouldn't surprise me if it's the same virgin. <laughs> So there you go. And that was raw. 
No, it wasn't. There was more after that. I wish that was raw. Because at that point, I was pretty much done. But uh, we get Eric Rowan against a jobber for some reason. Right? Yeah. Great match. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Great use Five of Five stars. You know. Finally, we do get some more UK crossover because you got Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster going up against the Viking Raiders and what was a decent match with, of course, the Viking Raiders going over. Good to see them actually wrestle an actual team, but it was kind of cool. I even mentioned in the chat room, even though there's only ever been two of them, first time ever that a former NXT tag team champion has faced a former NXT UK tag champions. Mm-hmm. Where they like they've done crossover stuff with NXT and NXT UK, but two champ, two former champions have never crossed paths before this match. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, like I said, that was really good. You know, they, I, I hate to say, but they need to keep this going. This crossover is working, and that's their only hope. They can't go back to this. We're going to lock three rosters down because there's so many combination of matches that you can have if you don't do that. No one wants to see the same people fight the same people week in and week out when there's 52 weeks in the year and you have three to four shows, not counting pay-per-views. There are four weekly new shows of WWE, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, NXT UK, and if you count 205 Live, five. Five shows that are in-ring wrestling. Not counting when there's pay-per-views, there would be six. If you count AEW, if you're just watching all wrestling, you're watching seven shows a week. There's a show a day, even though they don't all show up a day. Forget about if you're going to watch New Impact or if you want to keep up what's happening in New Japan or Ring of Honor. Then what happens? Oh, my God. You know what I mean? You'll never sleep. Well, you got to pick your battles. You really got to pick your battles here. Oof. So then finally, we get to the main event, which is the eight-man. Eight-man. We're getting more team stuff here. Eight-man tag match. And uh, who was in this again? Please remind me. Uh, let's see. We had, my God, we had the OC. <laughs> OC versus uh, Umberto Carrillo, Ricochet, and Randy Orton. Mm-hmm. This leads back into earlier Randy Orton's face turn. There was a point backstage where Ricochet says, you know, I know you're waiting to RKO me out of nowhere. And, uh, you know, he basically just tells him uh, not to let him get into your head. It's the worst thing you could do. And this leads into yeah. the, the uh, match happening, which uh, I thought this was a very good match. And I like the ending, the fact that they did, even though it was obvious, um, they had that moment where Ricochet's back is turned and Orton's behind him and he's setting up for the finisher. He's charging his finisher, but you can see him look back, which kind of ruined it, but he had to make sure AJ was in position. But you see him glance back to make sure AJ's in position for this swerve. And then he hits him with the RKO. And, uh, you know, then him and Ricochet have this moment of eye contact. Well, first he tags in Humberto, who then hits him with the, with the, uh, what does he do? The, uh, shooting star? The moonsault. Or the moonsault, rather. And, uh, he, he gets the cover there. And then Orton and Ricochet exchange this glance where he basically says to him, you see him mouth to him, I do what I want when I want, you know? And, uh, that was it. Then everybody goes, I guess this is the completion of Orton's face turn, is what it looks like. You know, we'll have to yeah. see where it goes from here. It definitely seems like it could be, or it could just be a situation of Orton just doesn't like AJ, and it's like, you know what, I got a team with these two to get to AJ, so screw it, because I mean, the funny thing is, during that promo earlier in the night, AJ was talking shit about Orton like he wasn't all a five feet away. Yeah, he really was, right? Like, he was just off camera, bro, what you doing? Like, <laughs> Insane. Yeah, definitely interesting, though. Insane, but interesting. For sure. Yeah, the road survivors here is getting crazy, so. And even when wrestling has its ups and downs and a shitty Lana and Lashley segments, you got to admit that there's definitely something special going on when, uh, you know, you can look at the, uh, the stuff and it's different. Whether it's good or bad is irrelevant to the fact that it's all different, you know? Exactly. So, yeah. All right. Well, is that it? Are we done here? We have to be done here, right? Doesn't matter oh, yeah. If we didn't oh, get oh any... yeah. We, 
we done here. <laughs> Instead of we out here, we done here. No, no, we done here. We remixing it for tonight, damn it. We done here. We <laughs> get done be done all right fantastic it was a long one but we're trying to cover as much as we can and that being said thank you to everyone who has hung out with us for this wonderful episode of covering the wednesday night wars we've had cooler ice willie v2 emang aka b gamer tickle stasis dreams six slayer joel whoa sugar shane 94 mr matt squires M. Corey 88 uh, and all of you anonymously listening across the airwaves of iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, various other platforms and at the dot com, of course. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to Talk Brunch Live episode 350 hosted by yours truly, Rick Dara, a.k.a. Captain Brunch. For myself and Destin, we are out of here. Sponsored by Meat Sauce. Shut up.